even like the attacks they use are unique for every character. It's never really? just it's never just oh I'm a dude with a sword. It's like no 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 I've got a gang of five guys for my basic attacks. Here are their names. <laughs> we had one character whose basic attack was a truck. Mm. And it just came in from off screen and run someone over. And because the rules are like are are separate and then you build the setting around it, that all hangs together. And it gives you this really fun, crunchy combat. I'm gonna go ahead and warn you ahead of time. Um, this is one of those episodes where you're gonna have to grab your wallet. Uh, I sit down with the people behind Rowan, Rook, and Descartes, or at least two of them, uh, Chris and Grant. And uh, we talk about how they've created their uh, three big games, which are Unbound, Spire, and Heart. Uh, this is one of those rare opportunities where you have two people um, that partner together and carry equal weight in the creation uh, of an RPG. I found it fascinating how different Grant and Chris are, and I think it really shows uh, during the broadcast, uh, but yet they overlap and they find this sweet spot where f they find a place where they are both happy. Uh, Chris from a mechanical standpoint, Grant from a storytelling standpoint, and uh, they produce some truly unique games. We talk about the origins, uh, their first game, um, how they progressed from that to uh, starting a brand new company uh, with uh, three people and uh, where they're headed next. In fact, as a quick aside, uh, as this is being released, uh, this episode is being released, they currently have a brand new Kickstarter going and it's for Sin Aspire RPG Sourcebook. Uh, it is set to close on April 29th, uh, one o'clock Eastern. Uh, depending on when you listen to this, you might still be able to get in on this Kickstarter. If not, make sure you swing over and follow the link in the show notes to uh, potentially doing a late pledge. Um, but um, I think you are going to enjoy uh, hearing how these gentlemen create the sausage. There are a ton of laughs. Uh, there's some secret advice for GMs in there and players in there. Um, and it's a ton of fun. So sit back, relax. And let's learn how Chris and Grant make games. Third Floor Wars delivers interviews, insights, and discussions about everything hitting the tabletop. In a world where life hits you from all sides, you deserve time to relax, disconnect, and unplug. Pool books, plastic models, dice, and cards in hand. Let the gaming begin. Tabletop games let you escape and unleash grand battles and regale epic tales of adventure with your friends. If you love gaming and learning from players, designers, experts, and creators, you are in the right place. Pull up a chair. Craig and Ray welcome you to the third floor and the Tabletop Talk Podcast. Craig here on the third floor. Today, my guests are Chris Taylor and Grant Howard of Rowan, Rook, and Descartes. Their company's tagline is interesting games for awesome people. So we're going to find out whether we're awesome and if their games are, in fact, interesting. So I want to start with you, Grant. Welcome to the third floor. Hello. So, Grant, there was a day. Uh, no, I would venture to guess with a little bit of gray in your beard, it wasn't yesterday, but there was a day where you knew nothing about tabletop gaming. Uh, you didn't know you could roll dice and pretend to be other people or move miniatures around. No, a table. man, I came out the womb playing D&D. <laughs> so uh, uh, what was your first game? That's going to be my next question. Well, it was, it was, it was, it would, it would be at that, spur at that point, I suppose, AD&D. Um, I, I, put, I put the nurse and the doctors through a pre, during, and then antenatal 
uh, run through the Chamber of Horrors. Completely homebrew. I'm old school, mate. Yeah. <laughs> That's phenomenal. No, you skipped I, Blue Box, right? I didn't. I didn't. I don't even know what that is. I didn't. Uh, <laughs> I didn't start playing RPGs for a long time. I think the first time I saw RPGs being played was in was in the year two thousand, which is oh no kidding, twenty one years ago now. Uh, but I saw I saw some some older boys playing Vampire the Masquerade and thought it was very exciting. Uh, and then most people just do that with drugs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I like. I didn't get into drugs or role playing until I came to university, where I met Chris. <laughs> Hello. Um, he bought me role-playing, and I bought him drugs, so I think it kind of balanced oh, out quite nicely. Guys, now we know why you guys work together. Um, so out of curiosity, like, had you been involved in any kind of, anything could be classified as nerds before then? Oh, or? um, I played Warhammer. So oh, I, okay. I played, I played, of course that's tabletop wargaming, isn't it? It's tabletop things. Yeah, I played Warhammer from 96 onwards. I, I remember being really excited about, um... Walking, I remember walking to Games Workshop and I see, I saw there was one side was 40k, one side was Warhammer, and it was just all of these things I didn't know yet. Yeah. It was so exciting. I used to buy codexes for uh, an army books for armies I didn't ever intend to possess and just read them for the stories. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I did that. That was fun. And I, it was at Games Day 2000, the night before for Games Workshop, where I saw Sabat being played. And I was like, oh, they can just do anything. They don't have to. They don't have to use models or out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, what was it like then? To like, like as, as soon as you found role playing and started doing role playing, you're like, yeah, this is it. I'm, I'm uh, in. Or uh, I, I discovered role playing, and it was a scant six years before I got to play any. Uh, wow. Well, my friends were too cool. Yeah. And in, in, I went to a really small uh, English language school in Portugal, so my year had about five people in it, and I could never really corral them into properly playing role playing games. So my first proper GM was Chris. No kidding. Who bought no me kidding. into this life. <laughs> and now look at you. It's now riding me around like a pony. <laughs> it's worked so, out well for me. Yeah. That gives me a great chance to jump to Chris. Chris, welcome to the third floor. Hello. So before you became Grant's pusher, how did you find tabletop gaming? Uh, my first dealer was my mother. Oh, really? Yeah, my mum got me into role-playing games when I was like nine or something no like kidding. that. So that I just, you know... Just go and do something over there rather than bothering her. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> and so I bothered her. Very much a solo years. experience. <laughs> because I, I, much like Ron, I didn't really know that many people. I knew a couple of nerds, which was quite good. But yeah, it was just me badgering people, trying to force them to play with elves with me. It was pretty so good, honestly. <laughs> well, yeah, but <laughs> it was certainly um, easier that game than it is now. And obviously, you know, this is an audio, so people can't see but uh my listeners know that we do this over video and i can see your uh your models behind you um uh your miniatures and uh you oh, showed me your yeah, little paint table and stuff so it's just nerd nerd stuff as far full as I can nerd, see. which i love um but uh so so what was it then at what point did you finally find uh tabletop role-playing so i guess like very early i i, I was trying to force other people to play with me and they wouldn't because again, too cool. Even at yep. nine, that people are going to be too cool for D and D. But it really took off for me. Sort of uh, secondary school. What's the? How old are you? High in? school. High school. High school. Era, yes. Right. Right. Um, where we finally managed to convince five or six people to really just you know what? Let's sit down and do a campaign. I've heard of these campaigns. What was the game? Uh, and I bought. It was. It was. It was a D and I bought the. Sunless Sea box. Nice. Like a, one of these mega campaigns and had no idea what I was doing. 
Um, and then proceeded to spend the next two and a bit years going through that whole box. No. Every wow. room. The lot of it. Wow. It was too much. <laughs> it was far too long. By the time I was playing under Chris, by the time we hit university, I once saw... So, so we, we were in a year and a half long D&D campaign. And I was once sitting next to Chris, and I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to be a cheeky. I'm going to peek at his notes to see what's coming up in this week's session. And he'd written, elves, question mark, lawyers, <laughs> underlined, blam, his adventure. We didn't encounter elves or lawyers no. during the session. There was nothing behind the curtain, not no. even a wizard, huh? No, that, <laughs> that, is, that is honestly, ever, ever since that Sunless Sea boxed adventure, that is how I've run games. Yeah. Like, I'll make, when I say notes, I mean th- at most three words, and then mm. I will ignore them. <laughs> they're they're, they're like a safety net you shouldn't use. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's there to make the crowd feel safe. It's the emergency parachute. <laughs> That's phenomenal. <laughs> so you guys obviously meet at university then, based on mm-hmm. what I'm piecing together here. Um, and uh, you guys play some role-playing games together. What, what was your... Um, first venture outside of that D&D campaign did you guys discover you know non-fantasy type games at all oh, yeah. did you guys... um we played a, we played a bunch of Call of Cthulhu Chris ran that as well mm-hmm. sure uh, we did we did Master Denial Architep and unfortunately because it's a pre-written campaign and Chris was not just writing down three words on a bit of paper we instantly derailed it without trying yeah <laughs> and Chris, Chris had to had to had to surgically transplant a mansion from the British countryside to I believe Cairo yes that's funny. Mm. Uh, we did that. Um, we did. Well, we we ran a LARP together as well. So like our first oh, our first really? game design yeah. was a LARP. It was See, that's, that's hardcore nerd right there. Yeah, LARPing okay, is okay. Like... no, it wasn't. Okay, so it's technically paid, and the people gave us money, but we okay. were losing money up until game five, at which point we each made two pounds seventy. Look at you, mm. right? Look at you, rolling <laughs> in the life of luxury every since, right? We did. <laughs> we did a game called Zombie LARP, so you can guess what it's about. This is before mm-hmm. we learn how to name things. I think we're still struggling. And it is we, hard. It's difficult. And Zombie Lap was uh, a LARP written by two men who had tried LARPs and found it boring. That's phenomenal. So, <laughs> like, of what was the average life of a player? Uh, player it into just under seven minutes. Yes, that's correct, yeah. And, and we, it was terrifying. It was, it was uh, foam weapons and Nerf shotguns and running around a disused sports hall uh, th- like between the hours of midnight and 5am. Phenomenal. The sort of thing I could not do now in my older years. Oh, it was fun. Oh, it was great. And that's, and that's of course, when we got involved with Mary, who's the third part of our business. Yes. Oh, okay. Excellent, um, excellent. My, my spouse, partner, um, and Chris's friend, I suppose, and we're all legally um, yes, yeah, legally yes, and we all we all run run Rick and Deckard together. That's phenomenal. Uh, so where does the, the name brains. come from? Oh, Chris. Oh, um, th- that's actually character names or assumed character names that we've used in the past. So for the three of you, that's yeah. Cool. So Mary's Rowan, Grant's Rook, and I'm Deckard. Excellent. We excellent, thought it sounded excellent. like a law firm. So oh, I love the name. The, the name immediately, you know, it's like, hmm, I don't hear game companies called this. It sounds very official. No, uh, it, it shortens <laughs> nicely down to RRD games, mm-hmm. which like we have it. to give very people good. for their web address because they can't spell the Deckard part. Deckard's hard the, to the, spell. The card part. Yeah. We, we, we so, pronounce it wrong. 
is the other thing. That yeah. would be trips like, off. Like you're, you're pronouncing that name correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I, you know, I didn't even realize I was doing it no, differently. No, you, 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 you did it right. That is the correct way to pronounce Dakar. that. You shouldn't I even put the D in I learned the wrong pronunciation of it and have done it ever since. <laughs> doing a Blade Runner style. And, and thus it is yours, Chris. Yeah, exactly. Thus it is yours. Custom. <laughs> That's right. Your homebrew name. Yeah. <laughs> so, guys, we're going to, after the break, I want to talk a lot about kind of you know the founding of uh rrd but um before we do um the one thing i want to kind of get out there because i it really was astounded um at on your website the uh adventure calendar you guys did um at the end of last year um i would first of all um for those listening you've got to go um, i'll have a link in the show notes you got to go check it out it was kind of an advent calendar but each each day they had like immediately usable stuff for your game. It was uh, random tables, uh, ideas. Um, and it, I just, I, I spent like three hours going through each one of them. Where did the idea of that come from? Whose was that? We've got it, uh, we've got it in physical format as well. Oh, know. it's so cool. It's pretty nice. Very nice. Um, it was mine because I came up with the idea of a pun. <laughs> because cause it sounds like advent calendar. Right. And I want to write a lot of jokes about like Christmas and wizards and stuff. Oh, hey, can we swear on this show? Or is sure. it cool? Yeah, okay. About wizards and Christmas and shit. Yeah, right. Sure. Yeah, all right, kids. All right. Like, <laughs> We're cool. This ain't your dad's wargaming podcast spinoff. <laughs> we. I wanted to. Um, I wanted to write a load of jokes, and I couldn't come up with an idea for a one-page game. So I was like, why not make it a thirty-page game? Uh, it wasn't smart. Doing no. that, there's much easier ways to make money for me. I'm sure to do, uh, but it was tremendous fun doing it, and like it was, it was nice getting Chris in to just sort of like I, either Chris performs his his like I I sort of vomit forth words like a fire hose, and Chris comes in and just knocks some of those off the page, and maybe like pushes me in certain directions. But there's little Christopher comes in and just sort of gradually pulls me back a little bit if if I'm getting a bit excited about things. That's great. Now. If I was dumb enough to come up with this idea like you were, I would have been like on day 13, I would have been like, like what, what was I thinking? Like, well, I only had 10 ideas. Day well, two. <laughs> I was getting paid two and a half grand for it. Oh, okay. Because we put it through Patreon. So, oh, nice. Now, that's, that's, I get, we get that for every game that we put out through Patreon. So, sure. again, 30 times more work than I needed to do. But sure. it was it was it was an incentive certainly and uh huh. One the one thing we did do is that we on our website we had these things called glimmers and remnants. Oh yeah. Um, which were basically us just messing about doing D10 tables for stuff. It was kind of a an urban horror setting told through tables. It was like an urban horror or fantasy. Yeah, well, one was glimmers was. Mm. Urban Glimmers horror, was urban horror, yeah. Remnants was fantasy. Um, and they told like, the story of a world only through tables. Huh. And we kind of wanted to build on that idea and make it a, a, a thing, a unit, rather it than just... tremendous a, a, yeah. amounts of fun. It, it was really great was. fun. It was tremendous amounts of work. Yeah, yeah. You know what's funny about it? And I don't know if you gentlemen have noticed this or not, but it's funny how... Random tables were there at the beginning, right? If we go all the way back to Mold Bay and everybody, like that was the you know the heart of a lot of early versions of role playing, and then they became you know oh we don't do random stuff, right? We're gonna we're gonna design everything and everything's gonna be with purpose and three acts. But I've noticed like they kind of come back 
in vogue again. You're starting to see them again in games, random tables coming back. Any ideas why that is? I think or what made you guys decide to do them? I think it's because people finally worked out how to use them. Interesting. Because back in back in the olden times, what, what you used to use a random table for was randomly generating something. Right. You you'd roll your D whatever and that would be gospel. You got a seven, that's your result. Now what people do is they look at them and go, Oh, I could roll on that, but screw it, I'm gonna pick seven. Yeah. And it's just a it's a long list of really useful ideas of hooks and stuff like that. And since we learn how to do it, they're just more interesting. Oh, that's interesting. So, like, like the numbers are optional, right? They yeah, could just completely easily optional. be bullets. But if you want to roll, roll. And yeah, I mean, like, if you look at a lot of our books, like, there's a lot of things that could be in tables but aren't. Interesting. And then we also include tables because it's just a way to dump ideas out yeah, that we have no other I place. Like the the trick is combination. That's mm. that's the challenge. You have to get the tables that play off each other. Because if you can right. get two d six tables that work together, that's thirty six things. Interesting. And so it really helps replayability, but it, but it also can really help to spark an idea. And it's it's really hard to write a good table. Yeah, it's so easy to write a bad one, and one which just doesn't pop, doesn't. And like every every one page that we put out, Chris and I will be going through the uh, the the lists and testing them and iterating them to make sure that they're funny or they're engaging or they generate plot. I I take a horse out of one recently. You do. I like to remove a horse from my final destination table. With with a table, you've got a you've got a kind of guaranteed read order, right? You know, you right. Write from top oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And because you've got that, you've actually got pacing in a way that you don't often have in a paragraph. Yeah. Which means you can do comic timing. Mm. So <laughs> number seven's the joke. <laughs> no, you, you see, but you expect number seven, so it's got to be eight or six now. <laughs> And if you've like put three. if you've put a very plain one at two, three has to be plain, four has to be funny, and you you get this really nice like meter to what you're doing in, in a detailed very table, and, like, and you can reference tables to the left of it, but not to the right because we read from left to right. Yeah. but also it has to stand alone. <laughs> it's it's interesting. I writing love comedy games. how much how much you two have thought oh, about this. Oh, this is, and it shows. never stop. This is all I do. Oh, it's 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 really good, and and it and it helps me understand why I thoroughly enjoyed going day by day through those tables because it wasn't just you know here's ten things let's put it up there and be done with it. Um, it's obvious there's a lot of thought behind mm. it. So uh, guys, the reason I do these Insider Insight series is it gives me a chance to talk to developers, designers, artists, writers, and industry insiders about their creative process and how they approach their work. And that's my goal with Chris and Grant today. I want to get an idea of one how they started. Uh, becoming producers of content and creating games. And I also hopefully will learn, uh, like we did with the random tables, kind of the thoughts behind it um, and how they get from there's nothing to here, buy this right now um, and why we should. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk about the history of their company. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? 
That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. There are so many online retailers. It can be hard to find one that is trustworthy, has great prices, along with some reliable customer service. On the third floor, we love ordering our gaming goodies from Gadzooks Gaming. Their selection of terrain, miniatures, dice, custom decor, and conversion bits are curated for gamers by gamers. You'll find they have what you need and what you didn't know you needed to take your gaming fun to the next level. If you mention Third Floor Wars in the cart notes of your order, you'll also get a free gift. And you'll help support the podcast. Check out gadzooksgaming.com and mention Third Floor Wars on checkout to get that free gift. So now that we've got a little bit of an idea um, of you know how Chris and Grant met, um, where their pa- shared passions came from, um, slogging through a three-year, two-year D and D campaign together, I'd be curious when our third member, Mary, comes in, and when the three of you decide, like maybe we can start producing stuff other people would want to read and buy. Like, when was the first seeds of the company laid? We were partially underwater. When oh, really? Happened. How? How so? Wow. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know? Uh, we, we were in a pool, actually, in Portugal. Uh, we were on holiday, all three of us together. And we decided that maybe we could make a go of this. Uh-huh. Chris, like, we, what, what had we written before that? Like, we put out Unbound, right? Yeah, so we, to, to get collaboratively, we put out Unbound at that point. Hmm. Um, and Unbound was written almost entirely to stave off madness. It did not work. No. How so? What was what was Grant driving was the madness you, in, we were staving? Yeah, Grant was living in New York at the time. Yes, I was in New York. Uh, in New I moved, York I moved around with my partner's job a lot up until 2015. Yeah, and I was on my own at that point and unemployed, just unemployed, we and just not unemployed. doing anything. Yeah, and so we went. Oh, let's make a game. Let's just make a game. It'd be fun, and we did. And we sat there and we went. By the way, this is bloody good. <laughs> This is brilliant. <laughs> can we release this? Maybe we can make a quid, as desperate people do. Yeah. And uh, we made a quid. Yeah. And we did pretty well. Like, we had yeah. a lot of hustle. We had a lot of moxie, I think. And then in, in that pool in Portugal, we were like, actually, with Mary's enormous business brain, mm. Grant's enormous writing brain, and me. Chris, you're good at rules. I know. Uh, we could actually make this something that we earn money from. We can yeah. make this our every day. Yeah. And that's that's it. Like it's it's insane. So and I, and I, we're gonna have a whole segment about Unbound because that was that's mm. what originally how I found you uh ah, okay. found you guys was hearing people talk about Unbound. But um I didn't realize Unbound predated you. Predated the company. Yep, I should it say. does, yeah. Um, Just, yeah, that was the that was the that was the thing we put out before Spire. Interesting. Spire was our and inauguration, as it were. So how how do you put how do you put something like that out like like you just screw it we're gonna put it on drive through oh, RPG you play or? a lot of Secret World you play a lot of the Secret <laughs> World MMO 
So, oh, okay. The, the, the Secret World MMO is a really genius MMO. Hmm. It's absolutely astonishing. It is, I don't think I've ever heard of it. It's an urban horror oh, MMO that's got full investigation, like old point-and-click adventure game level investigation. I have a notebook full of my notes from trying to solve these things. It's, <laughs> the writing's brilliant, the acting's good. No kidding. It's, an, yeah. it's an astonishing game. And the way that you build characters in that is you the original game. They've changed it a lot now. But you had this enormous wheel with every... Imagine a normal MMO, like Warcraft, whatever. Imagine every ability in the game from every class is on that wheel. And you've got to pick your way through it as you want to. So you can have a bit from here and a bit from there and a bit from here. And we wanted that kind of superhero freedom. Mm-hmm. And that picking and choosing different segments and like a modular character. And that's what kind of pushed into Unbound's character creation. Right, but in... Oh, sorry, so, you're but, asking about the physical nature of like, releasing Yeah, a like book. literally how oh, you... How, like, ah, yeah, right, and, sorry. And, and, and like right, the design yeah. about Unbound, I, I, I can't wait to talk about. We'll get there. But, but, but it's one thing for the three of you guys... Uh, guys and gals, guys, gender people, neutral people. guys, um, to sit down and say, "Hey, this is a great, you know, this let's make this," and then you you're like, "Holy crap, it's actually really good." What's the next step to get? How do you sell it? How did you how did you push it out there initially? How did you get people to recognize it existed? Kickstarter is a valuable tool. Ah, yeah. okay. It has its own marketing. Uh, I, like I think something like forty percent of our Kickstarter backers come from within Kickstarter. So it'll be referred by a different project, it'll go to the front page, it'll get an email about it. It's a huge number compared to, say, Twitter uh, uh, or Reddit or what have you for the amount of effort that you put in. Right. Um, and Kickstarter is very good at drumming up enthusiasm. People are like, well, I want to be part of something. I want to I want to give money to this project that's cool. And crucially, you're selling them the idea of a game, which is right. much more profitable than an actual game. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> an actual game could have balance problems. Yeah. But, yeah, but an imaginary game. Oh, they'll throw money at you for that. So, what condition was Unbound in when you put it out on Kickstarter? Was it was it ready to go? Or... Oh, it was written at that point. It was. I think yeah, it, was it, fully, was, it was fully. It written. was fully word complete. Mm. Interesting. Um, okay. That's how we like to do it. It didn't have any layout or art. We had we we, we paid for a little upfront, uh, uh -huh. um, but everything else was paid for by the Kickstarter. Mm. And then we, we took the money from that and invested it in the business and we were able to right. roll forward onto Spire and really the model goes Kickstarters. You get a big enough Kickstarter to, to to push you up and then you and then if you focus on making products which just keep selling, that can keep you afloat. So Spire is still selling multiple copies every day, which keeps us in, you know, cheese. Yeah, and yeah. Moves. And but but moves, what, yes, what's nice yeah. about the Kickstarter is it's a prepayment which is mm -hmm. wonderful, right? Mm -hmm. So it allows from a Dangerous. cash flow perspective, it's nice. I bet it's very. And it also then, you you then create a player base, right? So then there's mm. people talking about yeah. Unbound. There's people talking about Spire. Um, so you guys put it out there and what is the, do you guys have the traditional, our first Kickstarter horror stories or did it go pretty well? Uh, that was our second, that was my second Kickstarter. Oh, okay. So, so our first, it was my first Kickstarter with Chris. Mm. But okay. before that, we did Goblin Quest. And Goblin Quest is a uh, rules, very light, basically GM-less game, which kids can play, but also drunk adults. It's a fun, madcap game. And uh, I promised, I, I, I had a reward tier on there, which is, I think it was £250. I will write the book out by hand for you. 
And I, I wasn't expecting anyone to buy them. I thought it would be a fun joke. And they all got bought. Great. No kidding. Man, you've yeah. done some dumb shit in your life. I but... illustrated those. I drew that... the goblins. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. Like, t to my mother's um, tr enormous credit, she bought one and then said it was okay that I didn't do it. <laughs> it's like, it's a way of supporting her son through his first thing. And like, and like we, we put too many stretch goals in that. I moved countries twice during it. It was really hard to deliver on. So we ended I up, bet. like, that was, that was a real challenge. We learned a lot of lessons. But by that point, so, so Mary was steering this Kickstarter behind the scenes. And then got by the it. time we got to Unbound, they were also... Um, making everything work and sort of making the spreadsheets line up and make sure we didn't bankrupt ourselves. Um, and then they they were one of the founders of the of the company, so they are in it. And yeah. We make, the yeah. Games. we make the games and they do stuff to them and the money happens. So Chris, I'd be curious for you seeing, you know, the understandable first-timer mistakes um, that Grant and Mary made with with theirs and then they come to you and say hey let's do it let's do it we've done this before let's do the unbound uh as a kickstarter did you have any reservations or were you say let's go or Hell did you no. say I only was, if i was massively unemployed and desperate for money <laughs> be reservations, you if they just fuck. said give us a tenner i might give you a hundred back in six months i'd have given them a tenner that's funny you, you didn't have the bus fare home at that point i couldn't afford a tenner <laughs> Chris and I are best mates. And so, well, uh, so the, joyous, I'm learning the key together. to your business is finding somebody desperate when you're looking for that third party. Oh part. yeah, yeah. You, you you need them to be ready to kill their firstborn. That's how you do Man, it. Man, I miss her. <laughs> <laughs> so she was a good girl. kid. So let's talk about Spire. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like um, since we met, Grant and I have been just literally family. It's been yeah. it's honestly right. weird. Yeah, we're, um, we're both only children. I think we're, we're fulfilling a brother role. Yeah, interesting. Lives. And so it was like when it's when the suggestion of money and companies and Kickstarter's come, I was like, yeah, let's do that. It's fine. There's no worry about like, oh, is this person a little bit dodgy? Right. If you know what I mean. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, no, no, no. I understand, but like, there's no. It, it's just like, yeah, this will work. But, and, 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 from, and that's not something to be light about, though, Chris. In all no. honesty, I mean, do, it, I mean. It's a big deal, right? Like you're you're out there and you're making promises that you that you're committing to keep. And trust me, as a person who is, you know, luckily had like percentage wise great success at Kickstarter, there's still probably seven projects that I've never seen, right? That have never been fulfilled. Oh, oh you um, backed. That I backed. Sorry, yeah. I, th I oh, thought you just I'm, hadn't fulfilled them. <laughs> seven I haven't fulfilled seven <laughs> Kickstarters. So, Screw y'all. And, and, and I'm so still now I've got the four listeners Fuck after you. pissing everybody off. <laughs> no. no, I had to I pivot to role-playing games after I lost my <laughs> Malifaux audience. It's really funny. <laughs> um, so, but so that's, I mean, that's no light thing um, whatsoever. So we get... We get Chris out of complete and abject poverty. Yeah, it's pretty uh, good. we've we've got some Kickstarters going. You've uh, you've got some other very popular games that followed Unbound. Um, and I, I there's things about this question I hate, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What keeps you going? Are you just having a great time and you love this and this is this is what you were meant to do, or um... a, a moment? What keeps me going? Something called Venla Faxine. I have no uh, idea what that is. It's an antidepressant. We're both on a Venlafax scene, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the main thing. Venlafax scene, the promise of sleep. One day. Um, yeah, honestly, like, this is this is hell is fun. Yeah. Like, we write about elves for a living. Like, I don't have yeah. another job. 
Mm. I write about elves. Um, and that's great fun. Obviously, doing emails is just the worst. Yeah. But that's part of company. It's really mercenary, but the money keeps us going. Yeah. And I that's think, good. like, the business is founded, uh, like, fundamentally, this is business founded on love. In yeah. that we didn't get into this because we were going to make money. We got into this because we know each other, we trust each other, and this is a safe and secure way of making sure that Chris and I get to do what we want and stuff we're good at and make money come in. And that's really valuable. And so because money's coming in, that's a, that's a huge motivator because I'm supporting my best friend because I'm keeping my I'm getting a roof of my own head. Although my although Mary has like a real job, right? That's yeah, the other job. thing. So yeah, Mary has a proper job, which is that's really why the roof is here, <laughs> right? <laughs> and the eight floors below you, and the twelve acre garden, and and the limos. Yeah, and we get it. And the wing for the butlers. Yeah, of course, of course, do work. Um, and the Phoenix is, milk. So you know, for a lot of listeners. You know, this is a dream, right? To, mm. to 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 make a living doing doing what the what you guys are doing, but um, what's the what's the part nobody talks about? What's the part that sucks? Because it can't all just be awesome, right? Oh, There's got to be times yeah. you're like, you know no. what, this kind of blows. I mean, I, I think the self motivation is a challenging one for both of us. Yeah, it really is. We um, both suffer tr- from and the brain demons from the brain crazies yeah yeah um and also we are just the worst at deadlines like i know hey, no. hey, 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 hey. i've only one. ever missed one deadline i'm currently missing it yeah <laughs> but like when you when you're working for yourself when you're setting your own deadlines mm. and like if we if we don't work that's fine right in theory right. just nothing gets done but yep. then no books get written and yep. then all that lovely money that pays for this lovely roof yeah. doesn't get yep. in, and it sometimes you just you just drag yourself to the PC and like oh, another right about another fucking elf, and yeah, and like you have to be because it's creative, and because we're writing like we are not writing to brief, we're not writing to spec. This is all us, and like at the moment we're developing a new game. We're de- and it's right. completely outside of Spire and outside of Heart. It's it's a new thing, and so there's tremendous pressure on. Well, I, I certainly feel the pressure. I don't know about you, Chris. In terms of like, well, this has to be great. Mm. And so if I turn up and it's like, well, you know what? If I'm feeling terrible today, it's not worth writing anything because it's going to be terrible. And there's and so much of it is tied to like my own mood, but also Chris's mood and whether or not we're sinking today. And yeah. that it is not possible to turn up and phone it in and still have the same amount of work come out. And I've, I've worked plenty of terrible jobs. Chris used to work in retail. Mm. I've worked. I used to work in a call center for pensions administration. I still don't understand how pensions work. I was there for three years, <laughs> and at that point, you can turn up and just completely not even right. realize what's going on. You can just do it, and yep, and grow up, and we can't do that. And that's the challenge, I think, the hustle. And you've got to get up. You've got to have new ideas. You have to. You have to be. Uh, as for me, certainly, I have to be aware of my position in the industry and how I'm perceived. Chris right. is wisely hidden from the from the limelight. I am an invisible man. It is there, genius. There are, there are no pictures of Chris on the internet, as far as I'm aware. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> I've tried very hard to maintain that. Thank you. <laughs> it, it, it is great, though, when occasionally when you're at a convention and you're having a conversation with somebody, like, and they're talking about, I think Grant Howard's here. He wrote Spire. Did he? <laughs> oh, did he? Did he? Did you read past the word Howitt and Chris Taylor, any chance? Do you see a fucking ampersand? Oh, that's really funny. Someone someone argued with Chris on our Discord about the rules of our game. 
and then got his surname wrong. And, and I wouldn't mind, but like on our Discord, my name is listed un- next to one other name under author. Oh, it that's says, phenomenal. It says right there. Oh, that's phenomenal. <laughs> so it, it just goes to show that my being invisible man is working wonders. I will say, we got recognized at JamCon on the street. On the street. On the that's st- got to be kind of cool. Oh, my God. I mean, oh, to be fair, when, when you know I'm six for eight, mm. and you know what Grant looks like, mm. it's a lot easier to track us. Yeah, you, just look, you, like, you, you look for a scarf. And then Chris, yeah. and that's broadly it. <laughs> oh, that's great! Well, we, we went great. we went to the con in Italy, and we got recognised. That was yeah, really we went to nice. Convention, in, we, we went to Italy. It was wonderful. Went to Florence and and Italian food all weekend, and and like the Italians were so excited to have us, far more excited than we've ever been in fucking Birmingham when we've gone there. <laughs> It's a cool feeling, though, because it, it happened to me. Uh, the, the podcast was after about a year that the podcast was out, and um, uh, it was at a small convention here, Nova, that happens in Washington, D.C., and I was having a conversation with somebody at the bar, and and someone someone goes, are you Craig Shipman? And I, and I mean, yeah. Yeah. And they're like, I thought I recognized your voice because <laughs> <laughs> the poor bastard had, had listened to my voice for, you know, 50 some odd episodes. But but, you know, but then to have those conversations is great. Right. Like somebody who has been consuming what you've been creating and to hear the, the joy and the excitement in there. I mean, that must be so great for you guys. It's, it's pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Like 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 we would we were at, what was it called? Stratagemma, Stratagemma, um, the con in Florence, and we and we were outside on the porch outside this pokey little sort of it, it was it, like half a concert hall on on the wrong side of Florence, and we were, we were smoking cigarettes outside, and these and then these towns were like, oh excuse me, are you are you from Roanoke and Dakar? It's like yes, we are. Oh my god, hello, who are you? <laughs> Tell me everything. Oh, <laughs> Isn't that funny? They kept buying us coffee. Oh, it was, it was, they it's, were it was, it was, God, they were great. Yeah, go to Florence if you can. Oh, the food. But uh, the, the most Italian experience I've ever had was Chris and I sat down in Florence on the first night. We sat down in this, in this, in this sort of little sort of back, back street bistro because we were staying in an Airbnb and uh, the waiter thankfully spoke English and he came over and I was oh yeah, I know we're here, we're here for a thing. That works. So can we get, uh, get these pizzas? And for starter, I'd like the, uh, I'd like the caprese salad, please, which is sort of tomato and mozzarella. And he leans over and goes, no. <laughs> no, you Just don't want that. tells us no. I bring you something. Oh, that's amazing. It was that's perfect. Amazing. That is that is that is what I wanted going to Italy. Yeah, I was funny. so happy. Oh. oh yeah, there there is there was um, it didn't always happen to be in Italy, but there were there were moments where I felt just tolerated. Like I was oh, just yeah. being well, barely tolerated. Yeah. When, when you're being helped somewhere by like a toddler. You yes, know, like, exactly. Just come, come on, it's going to be okay. Come on, we'll, we'll we'll get you a love some lovely pasta. Yeah, yes. we have to make kid. sure the American doesn't sue anyone today. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. That's so funny. Uh, so, um, let's take a quick break, and when we get back from this break, let's talk about Unbound, what ultimately became, you know, the seed that uh, that planted this tree. So we'll be right back. Howdy friends, Craig here. You deserve a new playmat. Here on the third floor, we use mats by Mars. They are scratch resistant, waterproof, wet erase marker compatible, 
almost free of glare and lighter than neoprene. Mats by Mars gives you over 40 designs to choose from. You pick a mat, pick a design, and then you pick an overlay, like one for Marvel Crisis Protocol, Star Wars Legion, or even Malifaux 3rd Edition. Those overlays will really speed up your deployment and make the placement of objective markers so easy. Use our promotion code in the show notes to get a 10% discount on your first order. In the notes of your order, you can even request the third floor logo on your mat for free. That makes the best mat in the business even a little better. So get some new mats, save yourself some money, and help support the show. Go to matsbymars.com. All the details are in the show notes, including the discount code. So I've, I've been trying to remember like what conversation I was having uh, or where I was when the Unbound came onto my radar. Um, so, I, you know, so someone was talking about Unbound or someone said, hey, Craig, have you looked at Unbound? So I start poking around, reading about it. And I'm like, this is very, very interesting. Um, it, the, the premise of it, I thought was very interesting. What you did with it, I thought was extremely interesting. So that's when I tracked who made it. So I get to your site. And I see the adventure calendar. I see like, this is not the only game you make. And so the next game I read is even more interesting and then so on and so forth. But I do want to start here because especially now knowing that this predated the website, this predated uh, everything. Um, so for those that are not familiar with it, uh, Unbound is, is a universal rules light role-playing game that puts the whole player group at the forefront of the world. As players make their characters, they are guided by the game master through a series of questions to build the setting, the plot, and the supporting characters that'll make up the game. Now, during the break, I had talked to Grant and Chris a little bit about uh, Rumpelstiltskin role-playing Craig uh, and how much thing is, things have changed. Like, so if 20 years ago I had read this paragraph about a role-playing game, I'd be like, what the hell are they even talking about? This makes no sense because the concepts that are being talked about there didn't exist 20 years ago. So let's start with where the beginnings were. So at, at one point, if I were to forensically go back into the uh, the Grant and Chris archives and to trace things backwards as an archaeologist, where would I find it? Where would I what would I find where I'd go there? There's where Unbound like first appeared. I believe the document actually had the word fuck about in the title. I think it did. <laughs> it was it was a it was a bad D20 game. Okay. I think it had like decks and like in and whiz in it, didn't it? Did, it? Like yeah. we had yeah, yeah we had we had, was, we had the classic six. It was garbage. It was bad. What we what what we were trying to do, I think, was take the idea of party based combat and okay. boil that down. And then and we were like, Well, okay, so like so like it was it, it was it was always about what was it, it was called Making History, the RPG. That was it, Chris. Making History Chronicle. Yeah, and then Unbound. And then Unbound. Because um World of Darkness released Chronicles of Darkness. Pretty close to the so, time we put but out. But the original there. problem you were trying to solve is group combat? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, so one of the things we really liked from stuff we played in university was passes in Wushu. Mm. Uh, Wushu is an incredibly rules-like game. Absolutely astonishing. You can fit your character on the back of a Rizzler. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, a, that's a cigarette paper, by the way, for American listeners. <laughs> okay, yep. Forgetting yeah. there's a translation issue yeah. there. Yeah. Um, a third of my listeners are from the UK. So. Uh, okay. <laughs> you can literally fit it on a postage stamp. It's, there there's go. nothing to this game. Uh, it's all about yeah. description. And it has a thing called passes, whereby if you start a description and you kind of offer that description up to your another party member, they can finish it and roll more dice in the dice pool at the end. 
Like the the core idea is like you throwing a clip to someone when they run out of ammo. Right. 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 It's right. that sort of idea. Um, and melding that level of passing the action backs and forwards with the sort of combat you get in MMOs. In the Secret World. In the Secret World, in Warcraft and things like that, where one person puts up a, a debuff on a target, then another character can exploit that. And then because they're exploited in this state, now the rogue can hit them from the side. And that kind of chain reaction gaming. The thing which Chris and I really enjoy in in combat in games is one tactics yep and two it being loose enough to describe some bullshit mm-hmm. and so that wushu that wushu has no tactics in it whatsoever it's just it's like the the dice are merely a pacing mechanic but it gives you this really cool scene which you can imagine and if you can combine that with some stuff which is fun to do as a game that's what unbound is and so we wanted we wanted combat to be an interesting series of choices and about synergy and abilities coming together but also it's so loose in terms of fiction that you can describe it however you want. And it's always brilliant talking to people about their Unbound games because even like the attacks they use are unique for every character. It's never really? just, it's never just, oh, I'm a dude with a sword. It's like, no, 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 I've got a gang of five guys for my basic attacks. Here are their names. <laughs> we had one character whose basic attack was a truck. Mm. And it just came in from off screen and ran someone over. And because the rules are like are are separate and then you build the setting around it that all hangs together and it gives you this really fun crunchy combat interesting well so so walk me through exactly because like i understand what the words mean when you say we build you know we build the setting as a group like i understand what that sentence means but like what does that really mean so can you kind of walk me through like uh, how that happens because i mean I, i don't know if i've seen before unbound a situation where we're going to play a role-playing game and we don't know what it's going to be yet. Yeah, that's, that's that was part of the problem with the Kickstarter as well. Yeah, it was a hard sell. Trying I to, bet. Try, try and, yeah, it's a nightmare trying to sell a- anything that's either like a generic universal system or anything yep. without a setting. Right. If, if you go, this is this is urban horror but full of, and full of vampires, people have something they can grip onto. If you yep. go, it's about whatever whatever you want. Well, like what? Anything. Literally as anything. As like long as it's got fights in. We've had a playgroup that was made up entirely of dolphins. Mm. Interesting. There was one whale. Oh, there was one whale. Yeah, three dolphins and a whale. And we've had games where we were wizards on a school trip, and one was a bus driver. And yeah, it was, they, it, it was a school trip. A school trip wow. specifically designed as an insurance fraud to kill us. So, and, we, and we went on an exciting adventure. Yeah. And that's literally it. Like the, the Unbound walks you through from right at the beginning, you draw these things called touchstones. So it's basically random tables to give you a load of words that you can start putting together. So it's, it's okay. playing card based. So it's 52 different words. And generally, you, so, so, so you each, uh, each player draws, draws one of those and then they kind of pitch it to the group. And the way we do it is, is like you, you do it three times and then you take the setting you're most interested about. And invariably, invariably, you create a sci fantasy game about mech suits. It's very easy to do that. <laughs> that, is, that, that is the natural. That's, 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 that's kind of like if, if Unbound is like has a sloping surface towards a sump, that's what that is. That's mm. where it is. That's where the water levels. <laughs> Overclocked mech suits. So, so, how did you solve that problem in the Kickstarter then? How did you make oh, people understand what the hell you did? We did not do that. We did, we did not. not. No. It was a mistake. So it, it, it got funded. 
Yeah. Right? He did. Oh, he, he did, did go, yeah. got over five. I think, what was it, 38 grand? We got yeah, in? it was, yeah. Did I you did, get... I yelled. So, so it was... So I guess I'm trying to figure out, like, like how did, did you break through? You didn't break through? Or you feel like it, that if you'd had a setting, it would have been 138? Or no, Well, mean, okay. I think I think if yes. we'd have included a setting, um, we would have made more money and made a worse game. Interesting. Okay. Um, it, we, it would have been easier to sell, easy to pitch, easier to, to get on podcasts at the time and things like that yeah. and, and do advertising. We were scared of setting at the time as well, I think. There was yeah, an element of like not so. wanting to put to, to, to put our stake in that and not want to say, hey, guys, here's my idea. Here's my world. Please buy it. It's more like, hey, here's right. some cool mechanics. We keep it at arm's length. We're going to go over here and smoke cigarettes that we wrote our Wishu yep. characters on. Yeah. And the way we sold it, I was really struggling. And I wrote this really like clean dry overly long thing breaking down like here's why unbound is good from a mechanical point of view it's solving the problems you have with traditional role-playing games it's got it's got group identities baked in it has specializations baked in you build the world so you're engaged with it and it was boring and no one really cared and i was really frustrated one night and i wrote something which began listen up motherfuckers it's unbound and i just screamed like like my caps lock started to come off for a page and a half I sent it over to Chris. Chris is like, you know what? If you took the motherfuckers out of that, we could use that as our Kickstarter pitch. <laughs> Which we did. Yeah, yeah. But I could see, you know, the frustration, right? You knew it was good. Mm. And for whatever reason, it just wasn't It wasn't crossing the moat, right? Whatever that was. And it's just that frustration yeah, it's launched just so the pitch. Hard. It was so hard to communicate what, what it was doing right. without, like, sitting you down and showing you. And we right. didn't have the language to know that... We didn't have the experience to know that was the problem. We were just like, well, it's a game we've made and it's cool and here's some fun settings alongside. But not like, okay, well, you, like, the reason why Spire sold well and sells well to this day is not the mechanics. The mechanics are fine, but the setting and the world has enough room for people to make their own parts of it. And from that, you can build a community and from that, you can build ongoing support. And, and that's actually not, something I've never thought about, but it makes total sense when I hear it said out loud. Um, because that, yeah, that's what it is for me too. Um, and you know, sometimes the setting will put me off. Mm. Like somebody will say to me, Craig, they'll, they'll talk to me about the mechanics of a game and I'll be like, Ooh, that's cool. That's cool. That's cool. But here's the setting. I'm like, eh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, shit, you know, <laughs> that's too bad. Well, so unbound is done. Right. And, and and it's released. And whether this is you're releasing beta playtest rules or whether we're talking about when the thing actually ships out and people start getting their hands on it. What were some of the reactions that you, that that made you really happy that you didn't expect? Right. So you were expecting people to go, wow, this is cool how you can do this. And this, I, this flexibility and we're making dolphins one day and wizards on a bus the next day. Those are things I would think you would anticipate. Right. But was there anything that you guys got back from from the chamber, you were like, oh, wow, that's cool. So, so one of the problems is that we didn't hear a lot back. We wow. didn't have an audience at that because, point, so uh, we couldn't generate playtests. Well, we, we did playtest it. I don't so, sorry, yes, I think, I, think, <laughs> I think there was something like six external playtests and yeah, six external four or groups. five internal ones. But like the in, in America, you have this thing, um, which we don't have. It's called the con scene. Oh, right. We yeah. don't have that. Yeah. Um, everything in, in the UK is incredibly atomized. Interesting. Maybe, like, you will, if, if you're in London, you'll maybe know two, two or three other groups. Right. I That's... know the East London role players, but not the North London role players. Interesting. 
And whereas in America, you've got this huge community that constantly meets multiple times a year. Yeah. And you know each other. And even if just like by by appearance, you know, and we don't have that. So we heard nothing. Wow. Because there was nobody to tell us and we didn't have a community built. Uh, so it was only as we slowly stared at Twitter endlessly that we heard people occasionally talk about it and that we were getting good stuff back. But yeah, you yeah. like it's we put this out, we sent the books out and radio silence. Yeah. Like I can't imagine it, what that must have been like. It fascinates me to hear that you that someone recommended Unbound to you, that someone's talking about Unbound, because yeah. no one mentions Unbound now. Like, as, as, as you See, I'm mad at myself because I literally don't remember where it came up. No, but, but like, I remember we we're we're on video now and I honestly looked surprised yeah. when you when yeah. somebody said somebody talked about Aaron. What? Who? Why? <laughs> Was it funny? me? Yeah, I do, I really it makes me mad because so in, in and I told uh, you know, Chris and Grant a lot of the backstory on you know how I've added RPG content to this podcast and the other stuff that I do. Um, and in that process, now I've injected myself into some groups, right? Some some online groups that that are that are people that know more about this than I do and put up with me being a part of it. And we talk a lot about mechanics here and settings there and there's a lot of different games and they're doing uh, different people and different groups are exposing me to a lot of different stuff. And I'm mad at myself because I didn't realize that was such a big deal because I think my initial reach out to you guys was Unbound based where I was just like, hey, I hear this Unbound is great. You guys want to come on the show. And now to realize it, you'd be like, who the hell wants to talk about Unbound? That's why we were so excited, <laughs> if nothing it's else. fine, I guess. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> Unbound is an intensely personal experience. Yeah, because 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 like so I I say I I have a boast about Unbound and well you're American you'll be used to boasting. Sure. I, th- I think it generates the best session zero you'll have. Interesting. It makes an incredible thing because you build this world and you build this world that's like on the crux of falling apart and the mission that you're going to do and you know the enemies that are coming against you and also all the fun bits which are, which are like, okay so I'm picking the ghost power so ghosts are in this world. And then, <laughs> right. and so now we factor in ghosts. Okay, so how are ghosts a thing? How many ghosts am right. you? And you bring that forward, and so everyone's hugely invested. Unfortunately, to everyone else, it's like being told about someone's seventh level paladin, right? Because they weren't there, and it's not professionally written. It's not Game of Fucking Thrones. Yeah, yeah. So it's quite hard to spread that around. I, I, that, that makes total sense to me. Well, and when you guys were explaining to me, you know, the idea of how you create the setting, um, and and this is this is. Sometimes it's a derogatory term, but I don't mean it this way. It's it's almost like its own little party game, right? Where this is this collaborative oh, writer's yeah. table yeah, situation. And there's a, like a game mechanic by the fact that there are cards. We've recorded a two-hour podcast based on it. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, just a creation. And then yeah. we just sacked off the game. We never did yeah. that. That sounds like a lot of work. But we if, just if you, made the made, made, just keep making games for a little bit. If you're so interested cool. in learning about, about Unbound, you can go to... Uh, Chris and I have... Uh, we have a professional... Uh, podcast. Uh, if you go to Rowan Rook and Deckard Audio, search for that, uh, and you can find the Heart Director's commentary, but also the um, like an Unbound character creation session, which we played with some friends of ours. And it's really exciting to get into it. It's great. All right, so so I'm going to go listen to it when we're done, and I'm going to have it linked <laughs> in the notes because that sounds phenomenal. So Unbound is out there. <laughs> the crickets are going. Yep. <laughs> you're, you're starting to get a little bit of breadcrumbs you know people are saying yeah we liked it you know and and and, and things like that so what's next like 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 did you guys go what the hell you know that was like that was let's keep going or what like i don't like the, I, there's a lot of people that would have said well 
we tried, but you guys didn't. And why? Because we had momentum. Yeah. Um, a lot of what we do works on momentum. Once, once we start doing something, we have to keep doing it until we fall over. Right. Like, we have to keep doing the same thing. Like, one of the, thing, one of the problems that we suffer from in games design is that we use iterative design. Mm. Terrible mm-hmm. pun, don't do it. Absolutely. If, if, if you're listening to this and thinking, I should make a game, how shall I make it? Do not use iterative design. Do it right first time. Ideally. Um, yeah. <laughs> but we will make a game, basically. We'll finish it, and then we'll throw it away, and then we'll do it again. Right. And use what we've learned from the last one and do it again. And like uh, the, the fiction will evolve alongside the mechanics. And mm-hmm. that, so Spire had uh, 19 drafts before we got it to... Um, no kidding. 17 before we got to playtest, 19 before we got it to the, uh, to the Kickstarter. Uh, the, co- the project we're currently working on, I think we're on 12. So we've got <sighs> a few more ahead of us. And that, yeah. and that is not writing a full 80,000-page book. Right. That is, right, here's the concept. Here are the classes. We're going to go for that. Blah, 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 blah. No! And you throw it out the window. And what, what hangs around is like the shell of it hangs around like where where those mechanics push into the fiction that sticks around and so over that with spire and with hearts we chris and i organically discovered god it sounds wanky we organically discovered what 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 spire was because we had to create a world together and so by the end of the process you can point at a a thing and chris and i can say that spire that isn't spire reliably we can make that decision We, we know what that is and then, and then at that point, once we understand what it is, then the systems start falling into place. That's fascinating. So I'd be curious then, as you're wrapping up the Kickstarter delivery mm. of Unbound, were we in Iterative Spire at that point? No. Were versions no. of Spire being created? No. What, what was happening with you? Were, were you guys making anything? Were you I just was... sitting there staring at Kickstarter and trying to like throw packages and mail them? Or I was a freelance games journalist. Interesting. At the time, I've I've been I was a freelance game journalist from like 2010 to 2017, um, which was which was great. Like a lot more press trips than my current job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, <laughs> but a lot more writing previews of Ubisoft games. So you know, it balances out. And we, I, I was, I was throwing around looking for money. Chris was claiming job seekers allowance, and we were just sort of bumbling around doing stuff. We we fulfilled Unbound. We got it printed. We didn't get any extra copies printed because we didn't have a website. We had no, yeah. we had no means to sell them. We didn't really have a following at that point. And I, I think it was, it would be the spring or summer. I was, I was like, well, I've got this idea for a game. I've been developing it. I've been, been developing a Dark Heresy hack because I always thought Dark Heresy, the the Warhammer forty thousand role playing game, didn't deliver. It didn't right. feel like how I wanted to feel. So I started writing a spy game based off that. And I was like, oh, okay, but I can't have the Warhammer forty thousand license. So what if it was, I don't know, elves? And so I wrote on a big bit of paper, Spindle, City of Shadows. Which, thankfully, we called it Spire rather than Spindle. But there were three <laughs> sheets of A3, which I, I was drawing elves on. I was like, oh, what elves in big hats and glasses? And also, cool, there's a secret spy network all throughout there. And they're fighting for, I don't know, a god. Uh, and then I brought Chris in to sort of help. <laughs> to, to make it palatable. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Sorry. By, by help, I mean do it. Because <laughs> I, I, I believe at one point I was looking at this document and going... This all this spy shit doesn't make sense. Absolutely, yeah. The revolutionary like it, stuff, that's Chris. It doesn't yeah, it doesn't make sense. Like what we're looking for here is revolution. Yeah. 
Interesting. And I'm the fucking leftist as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. I wish you I thought you would have been the one that come up with yeah, the revolutions. Right, yeah. Well, le- as we move into Spire, let's take a quick break because I this is the game. Well, these next two games. It was Unbound that brought me to you, but it's it's these next two games that I'm just absolutely fascinated by. So we'll take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll talk about Spindle. I mean, I mean Spire. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Alexander Zdanchuk from Riga, Latvia, and I'm a patron of Third Floor Wars. Those guys open the beauty of Malifaux Third Edition to me and continue to provide tons of great content. You can support them too. Follow the links in the show notes below or search for Third Floor Wars at patreon.com. What is it worth to you to get this podcast on a weekly basis? Is it worth a dollar a month? $5 a month? $20 a month? If you'd like to help support the work that we're doing here on Third Floor Wars, please go buy our Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash thirdfloorwars. There you can pledge at any level, any dollar amount. Whatever you give us will help us put out quality content on a regular basis and hopefully make tabletop gaming a little bit better for you every week. Time to give a shout out to our newest patrons. A big special thanks goes to James Kahn, Rage Quit Wire, Deck Roll, Aloy, Robo Rotten, Jacob Suderman, Joshua Hatch, Donald Kroger, John Fox, and David Gadea. Because of you and the 100 plus that are supporting us on Patreon, we're able to put out regular content on a weekly basis. We appreciate it. So the, the, the one, one of many things that, um, I, I, oh, confession, I, I've probably spent a little too much time on your website. I, I've been having right. a lot of fun on your oh, website. Oh, it was you, was uh, it? Yeah. <laughs> We've been Go tracking back and look somebody at your, who looked at our yeah, website. You, you downloaded all those your PDFs IP for free. Seven. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, I, you know, this is the, obviously the first time that Grant, Chris, and I have met, but um, the laugh started immediately as we said hello to each other. I was expecting humor. Um, so I'm not surprised that we're having fun and my face hurts a little bit from laughing because the it's obvious in your descriptions, um, hmm. the, the the angle and your perception of things. So listen to this for for the description that they have of Spire and tell me that you don't want to go and pick it up. It's a fantasy punk RPG about rebellion, brutality and oppression. What are you prepared to sacrifice to get what you deserve? And two sentences. And immediately I'm like, all right, let's go. Like, where's my, where's, where's my character sheet? This sounds, this sounds like nothing I've done before. And I, I want to poke into this. So we, before the break, we talked a little bit about the seed. So Grant comes up with elves and crazy hats, and we're going to have spies hands it over to Chris and Chris. That's gar- That's all that's garbage. It's about a revolution. You'd be amazed how often I use the word garbage. <laughs> What's next? Um, so where, where does it turn when we know there's going to be 15 versions of this game before we get to the end, but What's next after that, Chris, after you read that the terrible ideas of Grant, but realize that there's <laughs> but there's value in there. Right. You see yeah. you see some gold. Right. So the first thing I think we did was we once we'd sort of gotten it to the point of being about rebellion, about revolution, we looked at the mechanic, which was also garbage because it was a dark heresy hack. Right. And I don't know if you've ever looked inside dark heresy. <laughs> it's just all rules. The, it's the bad kind of tables. It's the kind of table where you roll a d66 to find a number between 1 and 66. Right? It's just, 
it's a grind to oh, get through oh, those. Are walls. we burning this bridge now? Is that, is that happening? <laughs> what, is it Cubicle 7? They might still employ us. <laughs> yeah, and we can make it good. All right. So next week's guest is the creator of... <laughs> <laughs> That'd be bloody ass. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's a lot, right? It's creator a lot. of the pirate Warhammer 40,000 role-playing game. <laughs> Pirates! <gasps> um, we, needed, we needed to fix the rule system. Yeah. Um, which we didn't in the first version. We made it bad. Fucking defense, man. Yeah. We we have a problem with in design with, with defense mechanics. Interesting. We're terrible at them. That's why, yeah. if, you'll note, if you'll notice Inspire, it doesn't really have a defense mechanic. It has a lot of different hit points and, like, fail-forward mechanics rather than a defense, rather than an armor class type thing. But Spire went through what? Playing cards... D fours, D fours, D six pulls, D twenty. Yeah, uh, there was D twenty, and then you had to roll under your resistance to confirm a success. Yes, which wow. nearly, which nearly got printed, and I'm really glad we didn't go mm, for that. It got close. Yeah, yeah. Um, and through mechanically, all of that, Chris, I'm sorry, but before we go on, because all of this is fascinating to me. Like, where where are these? Where are you building off of here with these mechanics, Chris? These different iterations of mechanics. Are there other games that you're playing and you're like, "That's interesting," or "I've, I've come across this idea or this concept not, is interesting"? Not or really. are you just just pulling it right out of my ass yeah. somewhere? Yeah, um, yeah. No, like we we tend to start whole cloth. We go like, okay, yeah. so let's just say we've got a D six. What what information can I get out of a D six that I want and need for this game? Right. Uh, D6 doesn't give us enough variance. There's not enough room to play in the numbers either side of the number you rolled, right? Mm-hmm. So let's go up to D10. Any more than that, you're probably looking at a roll over or under system with a D20. D10 is a really solid and safe dice for making a system with. Interesting. The numbers, are, the number the, between one and ten is a safe variable, um, and it gives you a lot of room to play, a lot of levers to pull in the systems mm-hmm. you use. So yeah, we we finally got on to the D10, and it just oh, it was it was a big day. It was kind of a challenge to do, to convince you to to make it a story game. Yeah, because like because like, it was we we had story game um, aesthetics and and um, what's the word a story game vibe. But Chris having a but for Chris having a D10 pool which consulted a, a table like because what we have is broadly an apocalypse world game with one move, right? And I I had to sell it to Chris, but thankfully he came on board. The The challenge between Chris and I, the, the, the fundamental, uh, I think the reason why our games are quite interesting is that I want as few mechanics as possible, and Chris doesn't want as many mechanics as possible, but Chris wants friction, and I want frictionless. Interesting. What was, what, you said something very clever about this recently, Chris. What was it? <laughs> oh god, no, you can try to remember it now, I forget it. So, <laughs> so when, when, when you're making rules, if you've got point of friction, points of friction in the system, i.e. where you are rolling, rolling to hit and then rolling to wound is right. a point of friction, right? Because it slows yep. the game down. That Every point of friction builds story. Okay. Because so? if you're rolling to hit, then you've found out if you've hit. So you know that that character's sword has contacted. Okay. If you're then rolling to wound, you then know if that's a glancing blow and you drop your sword... Or if it pierces the armor, and that changes the tone of the story and what's happening. Right. The, le- the, 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 the fewer points of friction you have allow story, 
because they give you chan the chance to make it up. The dice don't tell you what's happening. You tell right. the, the story what's happening. Yeah. So we had to, you have to balance the level of friction for how much story you want and how you want that story to be presented. Like, if you look at something like Hero System and GURPS and stuff, the, the, the story comes from the results of the dice. Correct, right. Whereas if you look at uh, Apocalypse World and even even lighter games, going all the way down to belonging outside belonging and things like that, yep. there's less rules, so they allow you to make a story. They uh -huh. give you that space to play and let you have that, that space to make a story. So... Does that mean, Chris, that you and Grant, that's the push and the pull between you? Is 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 Grant is pushing towards more? Let's get rid of dice rolling. Let's 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 open things up a little bit. And Chris, numbers. you're like, yeah, we kind of need this a little bit. Or <laughs> numbers, mate. Get rid of numbers. Yeah, I yeah. I I prefer sixty percent more rolls than Grant. Like mm -hmm. I uh -huh. I do not like incredibly rules heavy systems. I like reading them, not playing them. Right. Um. Whereas Grant would quite happily just yell at somebody over a table for an hour rather than actually play. I think a lot of that comes from like your first your first game, the game that which you cut your teeth on was D and D. Yeah, right. And the game which I cut my teeth on was Wushu. Yes, like, ah. which which I'd found and downloaded and has again characters you can fit on a on a cigarette paper. And so I was used to just instant gratification, short burn campaigns. Go 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 go! Tell me a story. Fine. Okay. Bye. See you next week. Like yep. Wishu, you can you can't run a campaign longer than three weeks or it gets boring. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating. But D and D, you can run it for years because D and D is a sort of edging experience around XP. It's like and like the more you say no to play, can, can I do this yet? No, 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 no. But maybe soon, darling. And then <laughs> and then and then players keep coming back to try and earn the approval of the dungeon master, which is why they're called that. Yeah. Whereas, whereas in Wishu, it's like, yeah, fuck yeah, okay, cool. You jump through the window and you pull out both your guns and you're spraying bullets everywhere. All right, cool. And then you land on a helicopter and steal a helicopter and now you marry the helicopter. Fine, whatever. <laughs> it's it's it, it just doesn't last. And I think that that is that's where Chris and I gel really interestingly. Yeah. Where we build a system which does that. So let's use Spire as the example. Where who arbitrates this 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 battle um, of of goals that you, that you have? I mean, obviously it works. So with Spire, where where did where did it become more of a Grant game, and where did it become more of a Chris game, and where did it finally end up as you, as as your game co collectively? Like, how does that work using Spire as the example? So Spire is probably closer to a Grant game, as it were. I think rules weight wise. Right. Um, than it is to, it is to mine, uh, because that, uh, that was the best place for it. Um, and how did you know that, Chris? So how, how did you let Grant win? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm not sure I appreciate the idea that this is a continual balance. I think, like, Chris decided it was best for the business. <laughs> right, but you, you understand, what I, I'm being a little flippant about it, but you get the idea yeah, of what I'm talking about, you. right? It's, at some point, Chris goes, you know what? Like, my instinct is to push more towards the mechanics here but i'm realizing that like chris's words were perfect which is we found the right spot right we found where it would be so i'd be curious how you how do you know that chris when do you realize you know what i'm not going to push more i'm not going to add another d10 stage to this process it's it's when the the rules exactly match the weight of the setting that's behind it interesting okay so uh, remember as we said that we we iteratively design and the the setting kind of follows along with that piece by piece right the setting kind of stays intact 
the rules change. So each time we do it, we're fitting the rules to more and more setting. Got it. And there's a point at which it is the setting that you've designed, if, even if only in your head, exactly matches what the rules are producing. So you're creating story beats when you need to. Right. And you're staying, you're, the rules are staying out of the way when people just want to talk and tell stories. And it, there's just that balance point. And Spire, any game doesn't hit it all the time. Right. But when it hits it most of the time, that's the point where you need to stop. And so, Grant, is it the same for you? Is it just from your same side? You, you, that's exactly how you know the way Chris just described it? Or is your process of going, yeah, I think, I think we're there? I, is it any different i throw out ideas i can i i am i think i am behind this iteration i'm continually pushing forward and it's crisp which i'm presenting these ideas to and then we build on and iterate and the the challenge for me i think is coming up with something which feels interesting and unique and worthwhile and then i think it's when i can present it to chris and we can discuss it. And then like an hour afterwards, we're like, well, that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Because generally yeah. what generally what I'll do is and like so so this this is kind of a window into the process we've had over the last year we've been writing a game. And we haven't like we haven't got the core mechanic yet. We knew what it was about, but we didn't get the core mechanic. And so we had all these different variations and all these different things where we're like, well, this is a cool idea for a game. Let's put it somewhere else. And we sort of develop things for yep. a while. And because we're doing all right, like monetarily. We're okay to take our time and develop these projects. And it's literally, um, so we've been working on this for uh, since last May. And it was earlier this week. I had the idea at half past midnight. I turned up to Chris, and it was the first time that we described the system. And there was no point where we we're like, "Oh, we'll fix that later." Interesting. And it was. It was like, no, this is it. I understand. We've removed the elements we want. There's enough. There's enough levers to pull. There's enough points where you could insert a system here where we can make something interesting. And it is, I think there is an element of me bringing things to Chris. Right. And then, <laughs> and, and like, not, I think, because like, I, like, I've got an outlet for my weird games that don't quite work, which is the one page game. So I can just yep. sort of fire those off. But in terms of, uh, like, Chris knows more about role playing games than anyone I know. And I trust him implicitly. Like, no. yeah, I, 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 I'm, no, I'm drunk. I'm, I'm, I'm drunk, Chris. I'm sorry. You guys should go in business together. Listen to you. This is really <laughs> strong. They are, yeah. yeah. Good Sheffield beers. Um, but that's, that's the thing. Like, I know Chris has my best interests at heart, and he has the game's best right. interests at heart. And so right. there's an element of I'm going to outsource the the measured, slow, no, let's not do this. No, let's pull back. No, let's maybe not yep. have that idea in the game. And so I can afford to just. <laughs> forward and chris will gently pick out the things which are good from that pan for gold and all that nonsense yeah and all that well, sick yeah <laughs> you know th there's there's a reason most games aren't created by two people mm. right um but for whatever reason and obviously there was a huge foundation that was built long before you made games together you guys have found a very interesting venn diagram it sounds like to me where there's enough overlap where you both both can stop and go this is a good game but there's enough silo happening where you, you've got the grant happening, you've got the Chris happening, and then suddenly at some point the game falls into that overlap where you're both like, yeah, I, th I think this is a good game. Does that sound... Does, yeah. am, am I articulating this no, right? Does that sound right. right? I mean, honestly, like, even if you just look at, like, the sort of role-playing games that we like... Yeah. ...or will tolerate... Yeah. 
they don't cross that often. Chris buys a lot of Call of Cthulhu adventures. Which I, I love Call of Cthulhu. It isn't <coughs> not, the best of all sets. Yeah, but it's it's a I like it, and Grant yeah. can't be doing with it. <laughs> not at all. I like I like small press indie games, tiny weird games you might play once. Uh, that's, and that, that's very very fascinating to, yeah. to 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 really kind of learn this um that's great so um let's talk about when spire found the sweet spot right mm-hmm. where were you were you both now at that point is it okay i think we're ready to start like stage like is the next stage to go all right i think it's time to put it on kickstarter we've got to write it first you've got to write all the classes yeah. under the new system um yeah. Like, one of the things that we have about Kickstarter is we do not go to Kickstarter without a product. That's phenomenal. If, yeah. if, it if isn't we, edited, but... If, if we could not go push across a table, here is a game, it doesn't look pretty, you can play it, yep. there's no way we're going to Kickstarter. That's, in, in my head, that's just not fair to your customers, because you, you're, you're, selling, you're selling potential. Or, right. or to you either, in yeah. terms of like, 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 because at that point you promised them things which you might right. not be able to deliver on, which we've had to become really careful about. Yeah. After yeah. I'm going to say sixty percent of the stretch goals in heart again, you came up with in a pool, Chris. Yes, I did, and yes. I had to write. Yes, yeah. So you know, yeah. it's um no, I, and that's smart, and, and you know, as as great as Kickstarter can be. Um, from a process standpoint, on both sides of the exchange, from a creator standpoint and from a backer standpoint, mm-hmm. uh, you don't get a lot of mistakes before that before a bridge is burned. Um, and um, it's smart for you to approach it that way. Um, so the picture that was being painted to me about Spire is you knew you knew what the container was the what the world was you had a feeling for that you knew what you wanted the game to feel like and you were just figuring out how to fill it right how to get those mechanics in there what i'd be curious about maybe this is a question for you grant but chris jump in was there moments when a mechanic came in and the container changed a little bit where you know you went wow like like because of this mechanic, let's change this a little bit about the world. We're not going to drastically change this now about dwarves, but does that make sense? Like, has there, has there been times mechanics have changed the world? That is how it works. Okay. Um, in that, as you as you develop mechanics, I think like the the best way in, in, in like t- talking talking about it like a wrapper. So like there's, there's like if if you have the mechanics and then the the, the fluff of the setting is a wrapper which goes around that. Every time we put in new mechanics, it distorts the wrapper from the inside. And then we gut those and take them out, but the wrapper still holds that. Interesting. Okay. And so the shape of the game, which forms over the course of that, is made up from the indentations of all these mechanics <laughs> coming in. Like, oh, well, that doesn't work. Well, that does work. And like, right. generally, the way in which we function is we keep the names of class abilities and change everything else. Like, we'll keep the fluff, and then the fluff right. will adapt. And like, um, Heart was a really interesting one because we like we ended up after Kickstarter. Because like we had really we had, we had a great Kickstarter, it was really fun, in like in like being able to playtest the game and get support for the game, so people were excited, and so we had a bunch of money come in, and we made all these promises, and we wanted it to be good, as well. Yeah. And so like we had the we had the playtest feedback, and like from that, I think like three or four of the classes saw a complete overhaul, 
Wow. In terms of what they did, not just like, not not, not, not just like, oh, okay, well, this guy here has four health rather than three health. It's like, no, no, no. Right. They're right. different now. Like 80% uh, the of the mechanics changed. Yeah. Wow. And that's because the wrapper changed. Well, okay, no, this, this feels... This feels different in this way. How can we push? Yeah. How can we make this more accessible? And so the I think what what marks out a game by Chris and I is that there is this shared world between us, which we understand, right. which we can't quite speak. We can't uh -huh. name it. And like as we were writing Heart, the like we had different. We got to I think we were like a year in. Oh, and we both realised it's, it's so weirdly embarrassing. We were a year in, and we realised that we had completely different ideas of what it looked like when you went out the front door in the game. Isn't that fascinating? Chris, thought, Chris yeah. thought it was meat. I thought it was dead cities. And we were like, well, I guess it's both then. And start smushing together. <laughs> but literally, we've been working on the same game for a year with these just completely different paradigms of what everything looked like. Mm. A fundamental difference. A fundamental mm. difference in the world of the game. <laughs> but everything still fit into both. Mm -hmm. Wow. And you start to get an image of what it looks like. And yeah. Like, it is... It is beautiful to see that evolution as something comes together, and like, and we've done this with like with with the game we're working on currently. I'm, it's Hollows. I'm going to name it. There we are. It's Hollows. Um, the game we're working on currently. The different iterations we've kept. So it, what it's about hunting monsters, right? And everything has changed underneath that in terms of like how, why you're doing it, what you're doing it for, what each what each swing of your axe looks like, how that feels, and eventually you sort of aggregate build up something which which is strong enough to take the weight of the mechanics you're putting on it so it's interesting because you 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 talk about hollow for the, just a second and mm. then you have a sentence that follows it grant and in one sentence that sounds to me like the center of gravity that you work from right so you say mm. we're going to make a game about hunting monsters is that is that what happened with spire 2 did you just have the center point of gravity and then just everything just wrapped around it over time and it evolved it was the city and dark elves yeah. We knew there was the Dark Elves, we knew there was a city, and we knew there was secrecy. So right. initially it was very espionage, there was a lot of fieldcraft, a lot of like acquiring assets and burning assets, and we realized it wasn't really fun. Yeah. And it required you to know a lot of like John Le Carre shit. So we <laughs> right. were like, okay, well, what, what can we just sort of improvise? And Chris got this idea for revolution. Because yep. like, like, he asked me, he was like, okay, well, once you've done the espionage, then what happens? Oh, nothing, I guess. I don't know. You fail. <laughs> and so the idea. It was cool. Yeah, it was. It was I mean, you looked great. Did I say you had a big hat on? And and Chris bringing in the idea of revolution, it's like, well, here's the end point for the game. And we knew that we wanted Spire, we wanted this weird city, we wanted this, uh, like, a, a humour there. I think, like, Spire's quite funny, as far as right. fantasy books go. Oh, it's, like, it's dark humour, but yes. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of Pratchett, I think it's closer to Pratchett than Tolkien, in that we're taking, well, like, we're, we're making fun of things, and, like, mm -hmm. everything, and, like, even Hart is hilariously tragic. Right. The point, Chris and I were, re we were really inspired by sitcoms growing up. I think, like, if, if we put forward two things which would define our entire career, it's Red Dwarf and Bottom. Yeah. <laughs> I to this day, and I will, I will literally die on this hill. Bottom is the best written comedy ever made. It's very good. Oh, that's funny. If, that's really. If you funny. go back and watch it now, as an as as a as, as like an adult that understands the English language and how things are written and put together. Bottom is one of the greatest comedies ever written. It's also oh, reprehensible. Oh, yes, do not get me wrong. Yeah. There's some yeah, stuff in there. I literally can't think of the last time that I watched Bottom, but well, I, I've, I've had this argument before with people that there's two types of people in the world, those that have, that have watched Red Dwarf and everybody else. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's because, a, that's I a mean, solid argument. Red Dwarf, yeah, Red I mean, Dwarf and, is a and, brilliant... And, and, 
ex- an expression of what a role-playing game is. It really is. It, I've never thought about it that way, but that's exactly like, right. It's a party that doesn't gel. Yeah. About personalities who just barely get along, just sort of going on adventures. And getting and, on with the goddamn story. Yeah. yeah. They all hate each other. It's, but, it's so true. But, like, like they're, they're not quite at the grade of reprehensible people. Yeah. No one there is, is all, it's not like Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where everyone there is, like, actively right. a horrible person. Right. Everyone in Red Dwarf is basically trying their best. Trying their best. That's just a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, like it. Um, like it, so, I, and I'm sure everybody has this, but and, and we'll get off Red Dwarf in a second. But no. like, no, don't, 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 don't write checks your ass, Kunk. <laughs> you know, but but you know how like you have certain certain um tests that you put out there when you meet somebody, and like one of the tests that I don't actually put out there, but if someone, uh, uh, we, the three of us sitting here meeting, and we bring up right, and one of you were like, yeah, I, I just. Yeah, I, don't, I just don't think it's a very good show. I'm like, okay, so that you're in that bucket now, mm-hmm. and like, and I figured out a lot about you because oh. you just told me you you don't like Red Dwarf. We don't have to talk anymore. That's fine, <laughs> right? But if you say I like Red Dwarf, it's like, let's go get a beer. <laughs> no, I get and we don't have to talk about Red Dwarf, but now I understand which bucket you fall into. It's been so um, long since I met another new human. If if, <laughs> if, they were, if they were to piss directly on Craig Charles, I'd buy them a drink at this point. I think. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, so, for the listeners right now, because we've talked a lot about we've talked a lot about making the sausage when it comes to Spire, and we've got an idea of how of how it comes together. For somebody listening right now, what is who would who should go buy it right now? Who would really enjoy this game? Is there other games we can compare it to? Like, say, if you like this, you really dig Spire, or if you're tired of this, Spire is a great. Uh, breath of fresh air uh if you're into this type of thing um we already said you know obviously if you like red dwarf i think you like spire but um I- i'm trying to give the listeners an idea of whether spire is for them because it's obviously not for everybody but in- who would really enjoy it playing it yeah by now <laughs> find out afterwards yeah <laughs> who who would have a lot of fun playing spire you like blades in the dark but wish it was slightly longer you'll love spire <laughs> Nice, very nice. <laughs> Do you like Blades in the Dark? Wish it had a ham-fisted political agenda. You'll love Spire. It Was is... Red Markets too serious for you? You'll love Spire. It is Chris, still ridiculous is it? that we read Blades in the Dark maybe ninety percent of the way through Spire. We just I read sort it of... after. I, yeah. I didn't touch it because I knew how similar it was. Interesting. Um, Interesting. Sure I did not realize that. People think no, it's a bloody <laughs> hack. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, Chris, would you consider there's is is it? I mean, from a setting perspective, I could see where it's very similar. Do you think there's a, the mechanical similarities as well? There is occasionally, yes. Um, yeah. The the crossover is slight but noticeable. Got it. Um, Spire is, to my mind, a much simpler game. Right, um, and it focuses more on, as the resistance system does, on loss and sacrifice. Whereas uh, Blades of the Dark has more of a successful air to it. Correct. Like you're, it's about you're, building. Yeah, it's about building yep. stuff, um, and Spire is about not losing stuff. That's fascinating. So the, the entire resistance system is literally built on the on the phrase. What do you have to lose? 
Uh-huh. So if you look at the resistances, blood, silver, reputation, like all everything shadow is infamy and things like that. Like all of your resistances are literally what, what you as a person have to lose. Hmm. Interesting. And it's a system that's designed to take them from you. Sh to slowly shave it away. Yeah. And you can get it and, back. You and can then quickly shave it away. Yeah. You, you yeah. can get it back. You can fight for it. You can regain it. But you have to fight for it. If you do nothing, it's going away. It's going to and get... that creates the conflict. That creates the resources. That creates the, the, the why we do this, right? That's yeah, that very, creates the friction that, that drives story. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Very, very fascinating. So, guys, we're going to take a, group break, a quick break. When we get back from this, we're going to talk about Heart, which is tied to Spire. And you'll see when I talk about the description of it, but it's not Spire. So I want to understand why. So we'll be right back. <laughs> Howdy friends, Craig here. Nothing makes Malifaux easier than having the right tools. Here at the third floor, we love all the licensed Malifaux goodies from Custom Meeple. Not only are they helping support this podcast, they sell custom-made weird licensed tokens and terrain. They sell it all. Crew boxes, terrain, markers, tokens, and even a 3x3 full Malifaux board. Custom Meeple sells a complete M3E token set covering every marker and token you need to play. Custom Meeple are the source for the official accessories for Malifaux. Everything is designed by hand and authorized by Weird Games. Check them out at custommeeple.com, that's with one M, or follow the link in the show notes. Up your Malifaux game and be sure to tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. If you use the promo code third floor friend, all one word, T-H-I-R-D-F-L-O-O-R-F-R-I-E-N-D, you'll get a 5% discount and help support the podcast. It's valid on everything except retail products and playmats. So before the break, I, I talked about, you know, how the two are tied. So, and normally I don't do this on the podcast where I literally read clippings from your website, but <laughs> I like how you guys write. So I'm going to do it again here. So heart is uh, set in the heart, the nightmare, unreal labyrinth that pulses and rise beneath the city of Spire. Heart is a game about damnation, redemption, survival, and obsession. It's also a game about body horror, walls made of breathing meat, and exploring a possibly malevolent parasite dimension. <laughs> like, is, who, is it Grant? Do you write this stuff? Yeah, I write this stuff. It's, and Chris it's gives really it the good, up. Grant. Thank you. I, it's really good. I'm, I'm glad. Um, and like I said, you know. I got more excited about this interview because I'm like, I, I need to talk to these people. I need to talk to these people who think it's okay to put this on a website. Absolutely. <laughs> it's our website. We can do what we want with it. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, so when does the idea of heart come alive? Because obviously it's tied to Spire um, from a fluff perspective, right? Um, at what point did you say, you know what? I want to drill in more to, to, to Spire and... That's when heart starts to come about. Or Chris, are you saying, you know what? I've got some ideas mechanically. Like, um, I want to build a game around this. And Grant's like, well, shit, we already got I fire. Think, I think heart was actually my idea. I think both was... parts of it were your idea. Yeah, but like, yeah. The, not not the whole of heart. No, every, sorry, like every part the mechanics and the fluff. Yeah, um, but the the idea of I I reckon we can make the resistance system do dungeon crawling. Interesting. Like that far, at least it was just like I reckon. I reckon it can do dungeon crawling. Uh huh. I'm not sure how, but we can work on that. But you could see it, right? Yeah, yeah. Because again, it's about loss. And if you look at 
D&D, it is about gain. Yeah. It is, I mean, gold used to equal experience points. Like, it was everything. Literally, yeah. And we saw this opportunity to completely invert that, whereby what you're looking to do is not lose money. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, not things for not, to not get worse. Right. And kind of out of that, what's the worst place possible in a world we already have? Well, it's the heart that's underneath Spire. Um, and also, it got to let us play with a lot of the interesting factions and things we loved mm. from Spire in weird new ways. Right. From a from a marketing standpoint, it made sense because we already had a lot of fans of Spire. We were like, well, we could try and write a new system. However, we might as well use this thing, use this mad place, and then start expanding it. And to our community's credit, only one person has complained about the massive expansion of heart in between the books. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's interesting too because this now echoes back to the struggle with unbound right so now you're in a situation where you're making a game and you have a very clear pitch right a very clear way to communicate this is what it is it is it is set inspire but we're instead of being above we're being below and we're going to see if this works in a dungeon crawl and that's you know in a very short period of time you, you can completely communicate it to a fan base that you've already created at this point with 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 spire so that's that's interesting so from an iterative process then chris you say to yourself hey all right let's go underground Let's do let let's let's make this work for dungeon crawl. You bring that to Grant. Grant, what is your first reaction? I was very excited the the prospect yeah. of, of of an OSR story because like I love the I love the memory of playing OSR. Yeah, I don't like the experience of playing OSR. That's <laughs> so true. Like, there's so many things you can get wrong. There's so many, especially and the, the the older fashions you go and the less less sort of abstracted you make it. There's all sort of, aha, you didn't check under the rug, only on top of the rug. And now you all have leukemia. And it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. And yeah. so, and so what we wanted to do with the resistance system with this was skip to the end. So we're not interested in how much money you've got. We're interested in when you run out of money and then what happens. Wow. And so that was really fun to sort of take that and then apply it to dungeon crawling. And then because Chris and I, we have an obsession with death, I think. I guess I Fair. certainly do. Yeah, I, like we're we're both that's sort of tied into the depression a little bit. We're both trying to master death. I sure. certainly am. And so, Heart is a game about dying tragically and beautifully, beautifully in this just ugliest environment possible. And I think the the juxtaposition of that was really like, okay, so what sort of lunatics go into a dungeon? What sort of person decides I'm going to go? I'm going to go into a place which is not. I'm going to break in to an underground castle. And the only escape I've got is flooded. Like it's not wow. it's not a sensible decision. And so we wanted to try and talk. I, I was really excited about the prospect of one exploring um other worlds and uh unrealities, because that's my shit. Yeah. And talking about like these hugely tragic people who were who who decide to go into a dungeon and die down there. <laughs> so I'd be curious, and this might be a way for us to help frame frame heart. Where does it typically start, right? So if you if we say D and D is all right, you meet in a tavern. Where does heart start? A game of heart, Chris? Anything? I've got an is idea. It, or, is, or, or is there not a standard? In, in There's right. no map. Is the is the thing? You make right. the map during the game, so like you you plot it in a kind of weird legacy fashion. Um, originally, it was supposed to be a place called Derelictus Inspire. And that's the, if you look at like the, the sort of overarching layout of heart, it's at the top and you're meant to go down. Um, but a lot of games don't start like that. 
Um, right. It is Heart is the perfect game for in media res starting um, because it's very easy to just have. Okay, so you writhe your way out of a still pupating cocoon. <laughs> what? I do what? what? But I just made this character. Yes, well, we're here now. Deal with it. <laughs> my um, favorite way to start heart. Oh, sorry, Chris. No, no, no. My favorite, my favorite way to start heart is you start off in Derelictus and you have everyone waving to them as they're going on an, on an expedition into the heart and you name like, all of their compatriots. Like the Titanic leaving the yeah. dock. Because <laughs> Derelictus is built, it's built around, it's a, it's a disused train station. We're really big on disused train stations. And so everyone's sort of standing on the platforms and waving you off. It's oh, really exciting. You smash cut to three days later and everyone's dead and one of them is being eaten. And you're running, wow. you're running through this nightmare city, which you don't understand. But there's like a lot of the a lot of the fun in Heart is taking this weird environment and finding something human in it. So what a lot of people will do, a lot of GMs will do, is they'll make their own haven, which is a safe a safe landmark. They'll make their own haven. Uh, we have a book, uh, a, wee, a, wee, a wee source book, which lets you make your own haven with the players. And a lot of people will put that together. That's their haven, and then they explore out from there, and they can come home and see how it changes. There's different the different rules which interact with it. Uh, but because one the, the the core conceit of the heart is that it builds itself around you as you go through, huh. it it makes itself because that's how a GM does it. Yeah. So the heart the heart is a big GM god who lives in the world, and so we can like if it doesn't make any sense like fictively in D anD D, it does in heart because the heart the heart knows you want to get trapped in this room. The truth is at the table. Literally, yeah, the world so is changing. There's if you if if you first open, ever open the book of heart, there's a sort of spiraling passage of text, uh, like a frontispiece, and it has the very definition of a heart game in it as the last line. Which is the heart will give you what you want, or it'll kill you trying. And <laughs> what one of our players needlepointed that, which I'm really yeah. happy about. <laughs> but like, it, it's like this: the heart is like we have various different origin stories of the heart and what it could be. You can choose what, whichever one you want. We disagree but, on what it is. Yeah, but like a good way of looking at it is the heart is like an idiot god who loves you dearly. And is desperately trying to give you what it what what you want. Oh, you're lonely. I'll give you friends. What if Yogg's a nice helicopter friends. parent? Yeah. Like, interesting. It's Very trying interesting. To, and it's trying to learn and it's trying to adapt and it's trying to change the world so that it's better for everyone. In the wow, in the in the same way that like a rogue AI is going to work out that the problem with the planet is humans, and right. remove humans so that the planet's better. You know what I mean? It's that sort of. Yeah. All it has is flesh and teeth. So it's going to use those as best it can. That's that's incredible. So how much of the heart did we understand when it didn't exist? When we only had Spire, what, was the heart a thing? And yeah. we just, yeah. you guys oh, yeah. didn't explore it that much? Okay, gotcha. There's a chapter gotcha. in Spire on, on Yeah, there's a, there's a fairly sizable bit in Spire about it. One of the player character classes is focused around it. The blood, mm. the blood witches, they make pilgrimages down into the heart. And the Vermissian Sage is a kind of a, a wizard of the mass transit network which punctured the heart of it. The heart of the heart. Wow. So it we, we wanted an excuse to have weird stuff crawl out of the walls. Or yeah. to have a place where, like, in Warhammer terms, like, chaos. So yeah. to have something where we can have weirdness and magic come from. So we put the heart in. Originally right. called the core, I believe, but it sounded too sci-fi. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad we changed it. Yeah. And that... That if if something if there's something too weird to sort of sustain even with the high levels of weird inspire, well, it comes from the heart. Fine, whatever. 
And you can you can get away with whatever you want from there. And whatever oh, is absolutely. your spire, whatever's your weirdness, it came right. from the heart. Fine. Okay. There's always there's always someone there's always a place you you can one up if you need yeah. to. Well, the heart <laughs> made it. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever. So we, a wizard we went, did it. And so we went, let's let's push them down into this unreality, into this like what's what's the what's the phrase you use, Grant, with where reality burns away like wet paper. Uh, well, reality burns like old photographs. Old photographs, that's it. Oh, that's so oh, cool. A red, wet heaven. That's the word I use. That's the phrase I use a lot. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's in the book. Yeah. That's really good. Lot. So, so, what makes Heart different is that you guys had customers that were playing Spire. <laughs> yeah. That, that I would imagine because, uh, you know, it, Spire, the Heart was part of Spire, and as GMs will do, they will, they probably put layers onto the heart uh, outside of your purview. Right. And then you say, okay, well now here's the heart. Um, What was there some interesting reactions from your Spire players? Um, How did they absorb heart? Uh, Were they like, this is amazing. Or did you have instances where they're like, well, no, 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 you know what? I'm going to stay with Spire. Or did you have people going, wow, heart is where we're we're headed. People are playing both. I'm really curious because it's different than Spire. Spire didn't have something before it. They're they're very different games, but they do appeal to a similar crowd. Okay. Um, One of the big things that runs through all of our games, whether they're hopeful or weird or whatever, is this sort of scheme of sadness and tragedy. Right. And, And that element appealed to both to both groups. Um, and they use roughly the same rule systems. They are slightly changed between games. Got it. Um, because they had to be, as we talked about with the wrapper and everything, yep. like this had would have to be changed to fit what we needed. Um, so it is very easy to, to use one as a source book for another. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we're very careful of is not to be prescriptive in, or descriptive, I don't even know which tense I'm using, um, in our setting. We don't tell people what happened if you look at spire there is no timeline there is also no mention of chronological years in the book we, we got rid of them we, we we erased every single one so there's the year of red wow. crows yeah we know the, the 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 high elves name the elf that name the year prematurely and then there's a council who are determined to make sure it lives up to the name <laughs> but crucially there's actually no like concrete way of proving that this right? year happened before this year or after yeah. this year so there's not that level of structure. So you, you're saying like um, home GMs put their layer on it. That's cool. Keep yeah, it. Right. That. That's by design. That's yeah, yours. It sounds like. like keep yeah. that. That will exactly fit into the new one. All we're doing is throwing more story hooks at you and more things to mess with. Oh, that's we're cool, not, guys. At no point we're going to go, oh, but you can't have that there because there's a forest. Right. And you've built your castle there. So then you gotta, the map doesn't fit. That doesn't happen. We really don't That's like canon so cool. gets in the way. It really it, does. It, well, yeah. it does mean the more you write, the I kind of wish that we liked canon because we have something to work from. And we, but like, like we work in worlds where they're like uh, they're changing a lot. Like yeah. we want Spire to feel like uh, not a living city in as much as oh, it's full of two thousand NPCs which you can go and knock on their door and see what's in their <laughs> in their laundry basket. But like, no, it's living and changing and evolving. And so like between right. the source between Spire and the first source book. Things things happened in the city and the districts change, and then we've got another source book coming out later this year, and things have happened and moved forward, mm. and it's anywhere along this portion, and also it's it's yours, make it up. Like sure, <clears throat> crucially between um, Spires released and Strata, the the source book, 
there was uh, one adventure in particular called Idol and Sky. And Idol and Sky advanced the, in quotation marks, plot. Oh God, it's a meta plot, isn't there? It's not, uh, like, it does not, you do not need to know it in any way. Wow. But Strata follows that certain things, we just used certain things from that book as though they happened. Mm. So <laughs> y- you, you do not need to know at all any of the book of Spire to play Spire. And like, there's there's a box out in heart, and the idea is like, hey, here's here's 150 words. Here's what you need to know. It's a big city of spire. Underneath it, there's the heart. Reality goes off. It gets weirder the closer you get to the heart itself. On you go. And then past so that, cool. like, what what we wanted to do with the character classes in spire and in heart, I think inspire a lot more so, um, is to take on that idea that we we established with Unbound. And so, like, when I was saying earlier, I I want ghosts now. There's ghosts in the game. Like, if you play a Knight of the North docks. I want I want pubs and brawling in the game. Tell me about pubs. And then if you take the boat upgrade as a knight of the, knight of the North Docks, I want canals in the game. Tell me about the canals, like, Daddy. Like, and it just works. That's <laughs> crucial to the to, to the whole design of the game, right? Mm. If wow. you pick a knight of the North Docks, your default appearance is of a dude in armor with a big sword, right? Just quarter base. Plate. It's quarter plate. Yeah, yeah. enormous enormous codpiece. Um, and, and a two-handed sword, because they're the only people in the in the spire who's legally allowed to carry two-handed weapons. Sorry, they're only the only ones allowed to carry bladed weapons, so they carry a two-handed weapon to prove a point. Yeah. Um, and they live at the docks, right? So right up against the water, and in a landlocked area. However, one of the upgrades you can take is a boat in a city. I'd like to point out, you, right. your character gets a boat. It can have a cannon on it. It's great. We mentioned How, canals right. once in a very different part of the spire. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're, they're cool? looped. They're like a, a boating lake. Penfold canal. Yeah. And what, the <laughs> what that boat upgrade is saying to your gem is, cool, put a canal in every single district and everywhere right. we go all of the time. Yep. And you are doing nothing wrong to the city. You're not getting it wrong. If you do that, if you just change it. And that's, that's what I love, that freedom. Like, one of the classes... Yeah. One of the abilities lets you talk to ghosts. Right. Nothing else does. Nothing else well, like, really we, meshes we, with we that. Put, like, you can talk to ghosts, and we'll be like, hang on, we haven't put ghosts anywhere, anywhere else in the game. Okay, cool. Once per session, summon a ghost. So that, yeah. that means you can, you can rock up to the gym and say, no, there's ghosts in the game, look. And it gives, and cool. it gives you that like yeah. dense spotlight time. Mm. Where you go, no, well, and we're it's talking interesting to a ghost. For me to, it, well, it's interesting for me to hear this because it, I'm hearing the breadcrumbs of Unbound, right? Yeah. Where, mm-hmm. like, like at the table, we are going to make this world, um, which every RPG does that, right? Mm. Every every gaming table has an element of that, but sure. it's very interesting that this was this was prescriptive on your part. Like, like this is a design goal <laughs> is that we're going to make this part of yeah. part of the game. I, I one of the things I hate most about role playing games is a there's a big sphere is when people tell me I'm wrong mm. right. because of a fact. And right. like that, that is common in things like Lord of the Rings. You know, you got, yep. you got your date wrong, that battle didn't happen then. What's the stuff? Balls to that, not having that. Like yep. I'm not even giving you the option to do that in Spire. If you say that that, is, that isn't west of there, like, well, it is. <laughs> What's yeah. west, yeah. mate? I would like to harken yeah. back to something which I said very early on in this podcast where I was describing Chris's notes where it was five words. We right. write games for that now. That's like, so cool. Every because uh, we're on heart now. The the plot in heart, like the the sites, the the like the the plot is. Uh, here's a job. Go 
go down into the heart. We'll give you some money. Whatever. That's no one's there. Like the the job is secondary. Your beats, your calling is what generates the actual excitement in the game. Right. And so it's a list of I think like thirty different things which 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 you can do when you advance when you do them when you tell the GM at the start of the adventure or the or, or at the end of each session what you what what you want to achieve this session. And so we were really bored of players showing up with doing no prep and expecting to be shown a good time. And you can show up with no prep to heart and have a good time because the players tell you the plot before game starts. And that's what we wanted. All of our games are based around that. All of our games are about the GM not going away in this sort of siloed hermitage where they write the plot and then the players are allowed in to do it. And it's always like... Come watch my movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because... Because it's it's imprecise, it's imperfect. They can't yep. possibly hope to get all the information they need, and yep. it isn't live or active or engaged. And so, what we want is to we want to paint this world where everything's changing and everything's happening. And here are the NPCs. And go, 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 go. Tell a story. You'll have That's fun. So cool. That's so cool. Well, the the way that I've always started a role playing session when I'm GMing is to say, right, who's given me a recap? No, one of you has to. You have to give me a recap, and. The reason I do that is because I basically remember what happened. Right. Point is, I need to know what you remember. Right. What's important to you? Because if you've forgotten something, that means nothing. That's cut from the story. That never happened. I don't care anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And then you just go, okay, cool. So more of that and you're done. Yeah. Well, and it does. And it also does because I do the same thing, Chris. And what's great about that, and this is something I just recently learned to start doing, because what happens is if I'm doing the recap, the players aren't going to interrupt me right? Because I'm the GM, mm. right? But if you say, Chris, give me the recap, then Grant's going to jump in. Yeah, but did you remember this? And then exactly what you're saying, Chris, is suddenly you're you're picking out the 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 uh, last last week on the yeah. Spire. You realize what's imp- what you now need to make important about this episode, because because they've given you the last week on uh, recap, which is that's it's a phenomenal technique, yeah. Chris. And it's again, it's interesting to hear how you guys have made that part yeah. of the game. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to put that into the system. So you don't you do not in theory, many people do, you do not have to prep for spiral heart. Yeah. You can. And yes, it is very helpful, but there are systems in place to just sort of let it run. Which also means it's exhausting to run at the other Oh, it's so tiring. You yeah. can't run a game for more than about two hours before you just crap out. Well, and this idea too, and you're seeing more and more of this, um, or I should say I'm seeing more and more of this, where there's there's more shared responsibility at the table. Mm-hmm. It's not the GM, you know, telling the story and everybody gets to listen. It's it, There is a lot more of this in, in design now. And I heard, um, heard it said in a few different places where it, this much better fits our current world. Right. Um, if you're like me, I've got a full time job that takes up 60 hours of my life. Then I, like an idiot, I do podcasts and, and YouTubes and Twitch, which takes up another some odd hours of life. But I still like to play games. And so I don't have time to rewrite Tolkien's world and bring to you the new version of Lord of the Rings. But something like this or Blades in the Dark, or, you know, the other games where that kind of do this, say, look, just start playing. Just start fricking playing and let's have a good time and let's figure out what this all is. It, it, it's it's really neat um, and how it fits fits things, um, but doesn't take. But the, the downside isn't there. 
um, as part of the process. That's great. Gentlemen, this was fantastic. Um, my goal again was to, to understand what the hell you guys are doing. And I feel like I understand what the hell you guys are doing. I think we've learned a little something. We all grew as people today. That's, uh, that's wait, a nice wait little, to hear it. This nice Grant and Chris are going to fascinate you guys. They're really good. <laughs> um, so obviously we're going to link to the website. We've talked about a couple of other items um, uh, that we're going to link to as well. If people want to get more of you, is there any other resources out there for them? Should they, um, is there, are there some downloads that if they're getting excited listening to this, they sh should go grab? Um, if, you, if you think Chris and I are funny and you want to listen, listen to us talk about game design more, we have a podcast called Hearty Dice Friends. Uh, we, at the time of recording, we're currently on hiatus, but we're going to pick back up with it. And there is a 180 episode backlog for you to listen to if you've wow. not listened to it before. Uh, which is Chris and I turn up every week and do games, games playing and design advice. Um, like just we design mouth games off into a mic for an hour. Yeah, just 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 mouth fart into a microphone like our opinions mean anything. Like two mediocre white men. But if you're into that, if you're into two mediocre white men, and apparently a Hi, lot of people are, we are your mediocre white men. <laughs> could you add us to your roster of mediocre white men? Uh, you can get a, a so unique in the gaming industry. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of us aren't even mediocre. You can go to, um, you can search for Hearty Dice Friends and you can hear Chris and I uh, tell jokes to each other for a long time. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, click on the links, go to rrdgames.com and you can download everything we've ever written. Go to Grant's Twitter. Oh yeah, go to my Twitter. JS. Uh, we'll G link to the Twitter yeah. as well. Excellent. Don't, Excellent. Link, to and, um, Don't link to Chris's. Hopefully... Hopefully, with there. a little bit of luck, I can talk you guys to come back on uh, when Hollow becomes uh, more of a reality because I really enjoyed this. Can't yeah, wait for it to become a reality. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to Three this mechanic. Years later, I really hope it lasts for longer than a week. <laughs> That's funny. Um, all right, for those of you that stuck around to the end, thanks for listening. Take care. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch so you don't miss the avalanche of content we create. Links are in the show notes. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest in gaming apparel and gear. There you'll also find the latest information for the U.S. Faux Tour. Find out where you rank in your conference or even in the entire United States. Get those models built, painted, and ready so we can see you at the next U.S. Faux Tour Masters event. Please take a moment to write a review of this pod on your favorite platform. Rating and reviewing helps us find more listeners almost as cool as you are. Be sure to share this feed with all of your friends who love tabletop gaming. Thanks for listening. Howdy folks, Craig here. Now if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools. A compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring, along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. Oh, I'm super excited because as unfamiliar as I am with Unbound, uh, the more I'm reading about Spire and Heart, I'm getting like, I'm really looking forward to this and I appreciate you guys doing no this. Worries. I'm sorry. I'm Very a, exciting. Like, this, this isn't a million miles away from what Chris and I do most days.
Okay, yeah. good. <laughs> which is like, like we, we, I probably would have had, I probably would have had like a word document open during it, but uh, you're all right. <laughs> all right, good. So she's like the easier on that. Can you not typing? <laughs> uh, all right, I'll bring us back. Uh, you guys doing okay on time? Yeah. yeah. Yes, we're good. If okay. uh, if we can wrap it by eight, that would be lovely. Uh, half an oh hour. yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Easy. Um, and and the reason why it'll be easy is because you know my goal my goal for the end of this is to understand how you make games and. What's great about what we did with Unbound and what we did with Spire is we've covered a lot of that, right? Mm. So now what I'm thinking is hard is we can kind of get into now. Now this is our, you know, this is a more recent it's game. This is, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, so I'll bring us back. I kind of wish I'd played more Malifaux before coming on this show. Oh, Cause, yeah, because like, you're into Malifaux. Yeah, Hello. so the podcast started, uh, actually, today's the two-year anniversary of the first episode. Um, so it started off focused on competitive Malifaux by Weird Games. Mm. Um, and I don't, I mean, my menu of geek hobbies is very, very large, but Malifaux was the first time I said, you know what, I want to start creating shit for this. Mm. Um, and then when the pandemic hit, you just couldn't, I just couldn't play Malifaux. Absolutely not, no. Um, and I went, you know, a month or two of not doing anything. And I'm like, I, you know what? I haven't played role-playing games in 20 years. I'm going to go buy a couple role-playing games and I'm going to get on, you know, a table, virtual tabletop. And I'm going to get back into what was a huge love of mine, uh, long ago. And what was cool is one, it's my podcast. So it can be about whatever the hell I want it to be. Right. But what it did is because I had that 20 year gap, I, what the role-playing industry and ecosystem I left mm. was considerably different 20 years later. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what, I, what I've what i done is I always had this Insider Insight series where I talk to people like you guys, but now now it's become almost a, uh, a Rumpelstiltskin archaeologist process for right. me. Right, okay. Where like, 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 how the hell did we get here? Um, because what I came back, what I, <clears throat> I loved what I left, mm. and I am unbelievably in love with what i found when i came back and to to have that 20 year gap mm. and just to see the jump and the advancement of of an entire hobby um has been incredible so you know i've been talking to lots of people i, I interviewed uh, vincent and uh mcgay baker you know about apocalypse world and that was fascinating uh john harper about blades in the dark um uh talked to uh, uh the other baker about uh eberron you know like all of this stuff like none of this existed Mm. <laughs> when I left, there was GURPS mm, and Champions no. in D&D. Jesus, he got champions, yeah, bloody hell. You know, and then I come back to it and it's like, Jesus, this is amazing. So, oh, good Lord, these and, games are playable. Oh, it's... It, it's <laughs> I can it, lift and so, these games! <laughs> so, the, so the podcast, as a result, you know, it follows me, right? So yeah. I've been doing a, a lot of role-playing and doing stuff on Twitch with it and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, but to, to go back to what started this conversation that you mm. didn't want to be a part of... Um, Yes, Malifaux has, you know, and still every, I always make sure every third or fourth episode is Malifaux related because that's where I built my audience. Um, but now I'm starting to pick up role-playing listeners because of who I'm having on the show and the discussions. It's, so. it's, uh, Chris, Chris and I uh, played a bit back in the day. Um, yeah. I've got, I, 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 I I got boxes of them. Yeah. 
God, it's a good game. Bloody oh, hell. It's so good. And third edition just came out, guys. Yeah, we haven't touched third yet. Never been better. Oof. Never, ever been better. Um, That's always rare to hear from a Wargamer. This new edition <laughs> is good. Oh, yeah, we, right? We operate in the Games Workshop sphere. No one's ever happy when they do anything. Yeah, yeah Games Workshop is... Uh, is my is my ex-wife i don't like talking about her <laughs> all right is that a legal Chris, marriage that's Chris, an old one Chris, do, you, do you want to cover up the uh, the, uh <laughs> no no I, I i trust me i um i i spent i spent uh about every dime you could spend on it played it for a long long time mm -hmm. but then i found i found guild ball and i found malifaux and yeah. just realized kind of like when you stop playing D &D and you start playing other rp you're like mm -hmm. oh shit <laughs> oh, <laughs> there's options. other stuff yeah yeah <laughs> Same type of thing. All right, guys, I'll bring us back and we'll talk about how we go from university to uh, the three of you starting the Groovy. company. All right, great. Hey, are you still here? Look, uh, the podcast is over. And you sat through all of the breaks and bloopers? Well, I mean, if you're here, might as well run over to patreon.com and become a supporter. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast, too, while you're at it, on whatever platform you're listening to. I do appreciate you sticking around. Take care.